Under the Sea. Oh, yeah. No. That's right. I almost went Little Mermaid on your yeah, ass. Yeah, well, wouldn't be the first time you've gotten Disney on us. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 53 of GBW. I'm Chris. That's Josh. Apparently, I go Disney on everybody a lot. Do you want me to start singing the Frozen song to you? No. Okay. Do you know it? No, I just know that like part that all the little kids when you're what shopping. What is it again? Uh, like, let it go. Keep going. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go, dude. I think that girl's a hoe. <laughs> let it go. What? I don't know. Stop. Anyway, welcome, welcome to episode 53. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about sea monsters. Well, I don't know if I'd say sea monsters. Well, I'd say water monsters well water monsters and aquatic monsters aquatic terrors yeah but we're not talking about fish movies we're not talking about real aquatic yeah we're not talking sharks octopuses or octopi octopi sorry whales squids piranhas so on and so forth barracudas basically anything that's a natural part of nature we're not talking about a natural part of nature well like what i'm mostly talking yeah what we're mostly talking about are mutations yes yes or giant shit but it can't be a giant natural part of nature yeah so no attack of the crab monsters on this episode anyway we've been yeah very particular about what's being well because about. if we're not particular these episodes would go on forever oh yeah because that's not gonna happen and we don't want that <laughs> So let's talk about what we've been watching. And I got to warn you, I got quite a bit this time because, you know, it was October. I know. First time for everything. Ah, <laughs> why don't you start? And we'll well, go back. I know if you've got all kinds of stuff, well, you should go first. We'll go back and forth here. Yeah, but if you, you've got more oh, than me. Fine. <laughs> I'm going to start with a sequel then. All right. I'll start with The Purge Anarchy. Ah, uh-huh, I watch this too. From 2014. <laughs> uh, this is the second effort from writer-director James DeMonaco from Blumhouse and Universal. And uh, I got to tell you, the first movie was really disappointing to me. Yes. Because you have this premise where once a year, the government basically throws the law book out the window for a 12-hour period and lets people get out their aggressions. And because of this, crime rates are at an all-time low. You know, society's better for it. Yes. So the first movie, I was like, okay, this is a fucking wicked premise. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. And it turned into just a boring home invasion movie. Yes. This movie is kind of, they. I think they realized that they didn't do what they should have done with the first movie and kind of made this into a uh, more of an action movie for starters. Yeah. And more of an escape from New York kind of, you know, we're trapped in the city. Everyone's on lockdown. We got to run from the, all these people who are, have bloodlust and are taking the purge to their full advantage. Yeah. Um, the main crux of this is it's like your typical. It's got a group of different people. You know, it's got the waitress character and, you know, it's got a couple who have broken down in their car and everything. And the main leader of this group, he's like, I, I didn't know. He was like a guy out for revenge for his brother being killed in the last purge. But was no. he like, a, was that the guy? No, his son got his killed. His son, sorry. Yeah. And was he like a cop or what and was his son didn't get him? killed in the last purge. His son got killed, run over by a drunk driver. Oh, is that what it is? See, I wasn't paying attention that much, obviously. <laughs> um, he's played by Frank Grillo, and he, he kind of reminded me of the Punisher. He was rad. He was really good in this. I think he would be a good Punisher. He, he would be. He was, like, he was awesome. Because yeah. he was really gruff, and he was just like meticulous in his killing ways. Yeah. But uh, he was in... Uh, I, I've seen him around. Um, I I can't remember. He was in like End of Watch and um, Zero Dark Thirty. 
So he's he's been around, but he, he's like one of these guys where he like came on the screen and it instantly felt like a new action star immediately. Like yeah. I was like, this guy's going to be an action star now. So hopefully he continues to make decent movies and doesn't just go into like direct to video land. Yeah, he does. Let's hope he doesn't become Dominic Purcell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this guy's got potential to, you know, be be a little more than that. Although he is a little older. But he's he's really tough, and we don't have enough tough guys anymore. And this guy reminded me of like a tough guy of the eighties. Yeah, this this felt like an eighties movie to me. This just felt yeah. like a movie where you know you put people in a situation, like I said, Escape from New Yorky, where they have to survive the night in the middle of this you know wasteland, basically of psychopaths. And I thought the action sequences were really well done for the most part. Yeah. I thought that it had a really good forward momentum to it. Yeah. Very good pacing. Yeah. I thought it was pretty stylishly made. Like there was a lot of cool scenes in this, you know, there were scenes with Gatling guns that I thought were really cool. Just the way they shot it. Like, and having shots of like these buses just going across frame with all these like guys in like creepy masks holding like friggin' submachine guns and everything. I thought that was really like cool. Yeah. I thought the introduction of the, 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 there's this like sort of gang that sort of, follows along quite a bit and they're wearing like face paint yeah. i thought the introduction of them they're introduced in this parking lot um with this young couple and i thought that was very effective they that were really scene actually creepy. made me jump yeah yeah when uh yeah the first introduction of them but i i just thought this movie had a lot more menace than the original yeah and uh you know i did have some issues with it like i found some of the drama they were trying to do a little heavy-handed I found their attempts to put politics into it with the rebel group was misguided a little bit because it really didn't come into play that much in the movie. Yeah. Like they tried to bring it into the finale, but by then I was kind of like, didn't care. I was more concerned with the action leading up to it. Yeah. The finale was kind of weird. And I mean, there was, I liked the ideas of, um, I liked the idea they threw out there of like the wealthy kind of hiring people. Yeah to come to their houses and sacrifice themselves on the night of the purge. Yeah. I liked that idea, but I felt that was a little bit underdeveloped as well. Well, what I got out of this movie and, and when I look at it now in retrospect with the first movie and knowing that there's another movie that's got a slightly different premise, I feel like this is a kind of a cool universe, like as a trilogy, Mm -hmm. I think this might be a really cool thing because they are, I think they're all kind of different and I, I think that's kind of neat. Like, I think it's neat that we have, I, even though I didn't really like the first one, I think it's kind of cool that you have one that's just really um, tight and small and is in one house. And then you're now expanding to the city. And then from what I understand of the third one is it, it does turn into truly more of an escape from New York type situation. And uh, I think as a trilogy, when you look back, and I think they are going to make part four as well, um, it'll be kind of a cool uh, a cool little franchise to, to look at and... Um, maybe revisit and it's 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 kind of cool to see that it, they've used the same writer director for all three movies yeah so i think what he's done is he came up with this initial premise and has been building on it now yeah because he's been taking what from the i haven't seen the third one so i can't say on in that regards but i think he's just building on stuff that worked and didn't work in each movie as he goes along yeah and I, you know i i i was kind of down on this series after the first one and then I got Anarchy for cheap. Yeah. And I decided to watch it and I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to. 
And yeah. now I'm looking forward to seeing the third one. So yeah. I it was mean, really good. It really lent itself well when I was at Universal Horror Nights a couple of years ago. Like the one of the main themes in the like kind of between houses sections of Universal was Purge Anarchy. So yeah. you'd have like these big trucks driving around and the guys with the painted faces. It was really cool that way too. It's I think it's a really neat series and uh, yeah I mean the first one I really felt like they kind of dropped the ball on the premise but um, maybe this was that was the end game all along right like if he knew he was going to probably be making this one when he made the first one I think uh, as an overall concept it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the case, but I, I think what happened was he looked at the first one and you know it was successful and he was like well I think this I got to take to heart what people are saying about this because you know when you get an idea like that that's just such a great idea yeah and you don't cash in on it you kind of got to deliver on the second movie yeah and and you know I've I was satisfied with how they delivered in this one yeah like I said I had some niggling issues with it but uh well-made movie fast-paced movie and that and Grillo was fucking awesome yeah like he was just so badass and i would yeah, he was like really you said i would love to see him as a new modern action movie because all we have right now really is jason statham yeah we need someone new yeah i and and matt uh, matt damon yeah i don't care about matt damon <laughs> particularly but so, um yeah, another thing i was thinking of when i was watching this is like i really kind of had was kind of wishing like that this premise had like made its reared its head in like the late 70s and like walter hill or john carpenter had gotten their hands on it instead <laughs> yeah yeah could have been pretty cool in the, if it was like a 70s movie and in, in like a the warrior style vein yeah that would be sweet yeah like this premise because uh, i it was it's a really cool idea yeah it is and so if you didn't like the first purge movie and you've been kind of putting off watching the sequels i'd say definitely check out anarchy it's it's an entertaining time totally yeah 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 Okay. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. All right. That's a rarity. <laughs> it's not a rarity, but it's good to kick it off without a, oh, fuck, it's October. I watched a bunch of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So the first um, one I'm going to bring up is another one we watched together. Okay. Um, so we went to a screening of the, um, what is it? The 30th? Fuck, I can't count. 30. Anyway, some fucking anniversary of Phantasm. Well, it was 1979, so, so... I guess it's not really an anniversary. No, it's not an anniversary. But it's, it's just restored. A, it's just a remaster. Yeah. So, J.J. Abrams got his hands on the original Phantasm, and with Don Coscarelli's help, the director, um, they restored it um, and uh, have been releasing it theatrically, and it's going to be coming out on Blu-ray later this year. I think and, it's coming out on Blu-ray in a couple of weeks. Yeah, later yeah. this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, a couple of weeks. <laughs> anyway. Jesus. <laughs> Are you going to be confrontational all episode? I am feeling a little feisty tonight. Okay, I could tell. So Phantasm is um, a 1979 horror film directed by Don Coscarelli. And um, yeah, it, it's a classic. Um, Called so, classic. Yeah, yeah, it features the tall man who's like a kind of an iconic horror figure played by Angus Scrimm. And this is the introduction of him. Yep. Um, and the Phantasm is based, the, the first movie is uh, really low budget and it's kind of just sets this franchise in motion. Um, yeah, I, I don't really want to talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil anything because it is kind of, it's kind of a dreamy, weird movie. Well, that, yeah, it's like I just published a review yeah. of this movie on the website a couple days ago. And um, it's like I said, when I, saw, I haven't seen Phantasm in, you know, a, a good 10 years at least yeah and uh 
I came out of this one and, you know, the first thing I, I said to, to uh, the people we were with was like, you know, if you've ever wondered what an American director, like if, if, an, if you ever wondered what an American director could make a movie kind of like a Lucio Fulci movie, yeah, like The Beyond and, and you know, um, City of Living Dead, that kind of dream state kind of like fever dream quality to it, then Phantasm's your movie. Like yeah. this was made before those films, but it does have that kind of like you never really know what plane of existence you're on in this movie in a way. And, and, and logic is not really an important factor to Coscarelli's story in the grand scheme of things. No. So Nor is acting. Nor is acting. <laughs> so I'm just going to say the basic premise without spoiling everything, anything at all. Um, basically what this is, it's about two brothers, Jody, who's the older brother, and Mike. And they're dealing with their parents' recent death, tragic death, and uh, so one of their friends ends up being killed and they go to the mortuary, Morningside Mortuary for the funeral. And from there, Mike kind of gets an inkling that this tall man is up to something nefarious to do yeah. with the bodies. And from there, there's a kind of an investigation into it and things just escalate from there. And there's all sort of fantastical things that happen yeah. on the way to the finale. And that's all I'm going to say about the plot. Um, lots of set pieces in this movie for sure. Which is True. simply yeah. because there's no logic. <laughs> like the beyond. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm i not fully on board with Phantasm the way some people are on board with Phantasm. Yes. You know, I like the original movie. You're right. The acting is fairly miserable at times. Miserable yet strangely charming. Yeah. Like there's stuff in it where the acting is amateurish but you're willing to accept it because the budget for this movie was only like $300,000 and Coscarelli, when he made it was only 22 years old. Yeah. And he kind of does a lot of things with that budget and pulls off more than you'd expect. Yeah. There's some good scenes in this movie. There's some memorable stuff in here. You know, there's the silver spear that everybody remembers. Yeah. There's that scene alone makes this worth the admission. Yeah, for sure. And, and angry Angus scrim is just so super imposing. Like he's the six foot four dude. And you know, he's just in that black suit, skinny tie. He doesn't resort to the, you know, the hockey mask of a Jason or the burnt skin of a Freddy, but he still managed to scare the living shit out of you just by staring at you from the distance. Right. You know, and you know, it's basically a cat and mouse between Mike and the tall man. Yeah. And I don't love the movie to death, but it's definitely a movie that's a prerequisite to watch if you're going to call yourself a horror movie fan. Yeah. It's got its moments for sure. And, uh, and I, and I did find the restoration really helped it. Like, yeah, um, it, it does look really good. It looks really good. And it sounded amazing. Like I just thought the music really came through. Yeah. In the this score and, in this movie is amazing. Yeah. And it's definitely something if you're, if you are a horror fan and you see that this is, playing around you it's um, worth seeing on the big screen for sure mm-hmm. um it just uh yeah i mean i think it's a pretty cool movie it just hasn't uh when i think of like my favorite horror movies phantasm the first one does doesn't come to mind really um yeah. and i find it found it to be a little slow at times as well and uh and um jody in particular's acting i thought was a little uh it almost took me out of it a few times but um but the, you know, overall, it's it's a good flick. I mean, it, I'm not. I don't want to knock it. No, too it's, much it's, enter- it's it's entertaining. But you have to remember going into it that it's not going to make a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. So if if you're into Fulci movies, then you'll have no problems with it. <laughs> but um, 
It's like I have a long relationship with Phantasm and I don't know why. Yeah. Because it's not a movie I revisit that often. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I learned about this movie from a, from a book I got out of the library. When I saw screenshots from it, I watched it numerous times on VHS. I owned the VHS. I, it was the first DVD I ever bought when I was switching over to the new format. I just, I don't love it. Yeah. But I keep buying it. <laughs> there's, so that there's got to be something there that I can't put my finger on. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more because I appreciate it more than anything. Yeah. I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I generally feel that Coscarelli himself is a little bit overrated among genre fans. You know, like, I don't love Bubba Hotep as much as a lot of people do. I don't really, apart from Phantasm 2, which I like better than Phantasm, or at least I did last time I saw it, I don't really care for 3 and 4 that much. So basically you're doing what you accuse me of all the time, and you're saying that that you don't like something, are you just not liking it because everyone else likes it? What, Phantasm? Yeah. No, I'm not by myself (laughs) on this. I just I've feel- just given you a hard time. Chris has been Chris has criticized me a few times <laughs> off the air that apparently I only not everybody when I give loves something fan- a good review. I only give it a good review because people <laughs> don't like it, and when I give a bad review, I'm only giving a bad review because uh, I do like. I'm it. not giving Phantasm a bad so review though. Just I just wanted to talk about this for okay. a minute okay. because um, Chris has brought this up a few times. <laughs> In front of my friends, I might add. And um, I just wanted to assure everyone that that is certainly not the case with me. Um, I just like what I like. And I think one thing about when I look at movies a lot of the times, and this might might be what's happening right now with you on this, is um, I, for some reason with me, I don't hold nostalgia with movies. Like I don't just, I find a lot of people like, um, like let's take the Goonies, for example. They really loved the Goonies when they were a kid. And they, for whatever reason, they just think that they're, they're supposed to like the Goonies. The Lost Boys is another example. Right. And I just find that, like, for me, if I watch The Lost Boys or The Goonies now, I'm kind of like, this isn't a very good movie. And even though I might have loved it at one point, and even though other people might still really be holding on to that, I don't. And if I don't like it now, because I'm 44 years old, <laughs> I just don't like it now, because I think it's just not a very well-done movie. Well, But it's certainly not me trying to... Um, go out of my way to not like something because I'm trying to be cool or something like that, as has been implied. Um, the reality <laughs> is, is that I just don't like some things just because I don't like some things. And I do like uh... some things because I do. But um, I just wanted to clear that up. Um, but that could be what's happening here as well. I, I just mean, like to take the piss out of you. Correct. You but realize I, that, it, right? It has come up a few times, so I thought I'd better address it. Just <laughs> I didn't want anyone else thinking that because um, I really do just try and give an honest those, opinion. Those are just nice, mild jabs to your ribs I like to do. And yeah. Obviously, you're taking them a little bit more seriously than I realize. Well, I think it's an important thing because I think if, if people are, are thinking that, if they're like, oh, well, God, this guy always <laughs> always hates everything that everyone loves and always loves everything everyone hates... I think that that is not something I want people to be thinking. Um, but, you know, I mean, I can come up with a number of examples. I mean, I love Walking Dead. Everyone loves Walking Dead, right? Um, but you don't like Walking Dead. I mean, it's just, but I don't think you're saying you don't like Walking Dead because you're trying to be cool. So I just think it's really important that people understand the difference. I think there certainly are some critics out there that do do those things, but I am certainly not one okay. of them. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you on Goonies. 
Yes, Goonies it's is terrible. Pretty fucking annoying now. <laughs> but a lot of people think I, fucking I, Goonies is awesome. I liked it when I was a kid, but then when I tried to watch it as an adult, I was like done in the first twenty minutes. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh my god, are these kids gonna just fucking yell at each other this entire movie? Yeah. This is really irritating. <laughs> it's true, and it's true. And there's a lot of movies that I really like that I uh I just think maybe people don't even know about, right? I mean, I, I don't I, like. I don't think there's a lot of really shitty movies, like truly shitty movies, that I'm like, oh fuck, this movie is well, amazing. You and I always try and find something positive in everything we watch. Exactly. Right. So, but no. But Phantasm is a really good example of this because I do, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. a lot of people seem to really, really love this movie. Right. And I'm really trying to, like, I, I kind of get it. I don't get how people can say they love this movie and it's their favorite horror movie. Right, I agree with, with all you. the horror movies out there. It just seems you. a little weird to be saying that, like, because yeah. it's not the best horror movie out there. That's for sure. No, nope. it certainly has its place in horror history, though. And the Tall Man is certainly an iconic figure. And I'm, I'm actually looking forward to revisiting the sequels because I'm thinking maybe with a bigger budget and better effects and more of those fucking spheres, it might be more of an enjoyable experience. But the first one, I do remember it. I was watching this movie and remembering it well. And when I think back on the franchise, because I have, I've never seen Oblivion, but I've seen the first three a few times. Right. And this is the one I think of when I think of Phantasm. So in that respect, it's got to have something going for it as well. Well, no, I'm not denying that. Yeah. I, I... Just I've always liked Phantasm Two better for some reason. Yeah, I really wanted to watch it. Like I said, I didn't. I was going to crack the Scream Factory just the other day, and then I'm like, wait a second. I wonder if this is going to be on the box set, so maybe I shouldn't open this right now. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to revisit the second one at least because I don't have the other ones on hand. I mean, but it's like I said, if you have to see Phantasm at least once yeah. if you're going to call yourself a horror fan. Oh yeah. I was happy to have the opportunity to see it in a remastered form on a big screen. And I appreciate what they did with the movie, but it's just one of those movies that I've just not gone back to that often. Yeah. So, and just beware all the nerdies out there are are, um, freaking out because apparently in the remastered version in the shot, there's a shot of the sphere like flying. Right. And apparently in the original version of this, you could see the camera crew and some of the wires on the ball um, in, in the shot. And in the remaster version, they've um, CG'd out the wires and the the, cam- the reflection of the camera crew. And apparently people are flipping out about this. So beware if you're a purist that uh, you, you might not like that. But uh, it's, not like, it's not like they went all fucking George Lucas on this. I think he was just cleaning it up, making the movie look a little better, which I think is what is okay to do from time to time. Um, at the same time, though, I think part of the charm of a little indie movie like this is is can be its flaws so i mean if you're not cging the acting up why bother cging out the camera and the reflection but i do know there's a bit of controversy about this right now which is i think a little funny <sighs> your turn nerds <laughs> anyway i remember liking phantasm 3 the best myself okay but i i don't know if that's a common opinion <laughs> i'd have to revisit them <laughs> I remember thinking Oblivion was the worst. I heard Oblivion was like a lot of. Actually, I heard it was a lot of uh, a lot of footage that was shot for the original Phantasm because apparently his original cut was like three hours long, hmm. and I think a lot of those cut scenes were in Oblivion. Okay, but. fair enough. I agree with Josh. Though, if uh, you see it in a theater near you, definitely head out to see it. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely worth seeing. 
Um, moving on. <laughs> My next movie is a 1977 movie called Shockwaves. <laughs> Directed by Ken Wiederhorn. Oh, we're going downhill fast. <laughs> yeah, this is going downhill a little bit. Um, this is an aquatic Nazi zombie movie. So, yeah. Not we, like... we brought this up last week, last episode. Did I? Well, we, talk, we were talking about horror, uh, American zombies. Right, right. Yeah. So, I'm just going to talk about it real quickly then. I forgot I brought it up. Did you buy... Um, do you have a blue? No, I have, not, I have the old blue underground DVD release. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so I have, yeah. the readers of the video graveyard decided to uh, get me to watch this one. So I'll be writing about it soon. Oh, poor you! But uh, <laughs> it's it's not a very good movie. It's boring. You know, I was actually trying to find a uh, whenever I update the Facebook page, I always try and find a like a shot to like yeah. put up as the like the cover and. Yeah. Uh, I was when I was going to do it for the zombie episode. I was like, "Oh, fucking doing shockways," and I started looking at the pictures of the zombies, and I'm like, "Fuck that!" <laughs> no, it's did. basically dudes in like fucking green makeup with yeah, goggles. Yeah, like did something else. So <laughs> the cover of the DVD is really cool, though. Yeah, it is. So this is just basically like Brooke Adams stars in it, and she's this girl who's found like floating on the ocean in a boat by these sailors, and they pull her in, and then. The whole movie is basically a flashback to how she got on the boat. So it's about, you know, her on a touring boat with a bunch of people. They end up on this island, which is inhabited by Peter Cushing, Mm -hmm. who's been basically experimenting on, you know, soldiers way back in the war and everything. And they're surrounded by Nazi zombies who pop out of the ocean and decide to attack everybody. And, you know, this ties into boat captain... Uh, John Carradine saying, uh, the sea spits up what it can't keep down. Oh. You know, and it's just a boring movie, dude. It's like, totally boring. Like, I'm sitting there going, okay, uh, okay, so the zombies popped out of the water. Okay, um, um, they're just standing in the distance watching them. Okay, <laughs> nothing's happening. Oh, oh, the music's swelling. The music's swelling. Something's going to happen. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Okay, a taxi. Oh, it's over. You know, that's basically what the movie's like. It's like, it's like you're being teased and oh. nothing really happens, right? Like you're just like, oh, come on, get going. Something's got to happen. It's like you know? the lap dance of zombie movies. Exactly. It's the lap. <laughs> that's, your, that's our pull quote. The lap dance of zombie movies, GBW podcast. But um, it's just like half an hour in and there's no zombies. You know, there's just swelling music, all these underwater shots and everything. And the, oh, I'm just like... You know, there's some, there's a couple cool shots. You know, the zombie heads popping out of the water is kind of cool, I guess. You know, what's with those fucking goggles, though? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> why do you need goggles? They're zombies. They don't need to see nothing underwater. And they look, they, they're supposed to look kind of cool, but they look like swim goggles. Well, yeah, it's like I just, I just ran, I just swim a hundred meter to get here to attack you. Um, but it's, it's just so dull, dude. It's just so dull. You know, it's just that like. I like the name of it, the Death Corpse. That's what they were called because they were Nazi experiments. But I'm like, well, these Death Corpse certainly aren't doing much death in this fucking movie. I'm like, I want to see. Does some anyone people. get killed in this movie? A couple people. Oh, did they? Okay. You know, it, it it has its fans. I'm not one of them. Yeah, no, I'm not either. Um, there's some moments in it. It's a I really cool poster. I, I have to repeat that because yeah. that's like the best thing about this. There's movie. there's some stuff in it that's okay. Like. It's decently made for a low budget movie. You know, it's it's unique for its premise because there's not a lot of underwater Nazi zombie movies like Jean Roland's Zombie Lake comes to mind. That's a much superior film. 
Yeah. Again, and even I'm in that the, movie's not that great. I'm in the minority again, yeah. but it does have that volleyball. I, I like volleyball dude. Scene. I like Zombie Lake better than this. Yeah, Zombie Lake's alright. Yeah, it's, it it's pretty bad, but it's better than this because it's <laughs> entertaining, and this isn't. I want to like this movie a lot more. I really do, but it's just like dawdles along like doopy doopy doo, and I'm just shrugged my shoulders and yawned through the whole thing. Only thing I have to say is the poster is the best thing about it. Yeah. And I noticed that Alan Ormsby, who we've talked about in the past, yeah. did the makeup. Yeah. So yeah. Did he write it as well? No, he didn't. But no? I didn't I did not know he did the makeup for this movie. So I I'm glad he, he moved somehow. on to writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. So yeah. No kidding. Um, Shockwaves. Admire the poster, don't watch the movie. <laughs> Admire. It's the what is it? What did we say it was? Oh, it's the fucking lap dance of the zombie lap movies. dance of zombie movies, <laughs> unfulfilled by the end, and you've lost twenty bucks. No, <laughs> no shit. All right, well, um, let's go into eighties uh, action for a minute. All right, and we're going to talk about Above the Law. Oh, Nico, <laughs> Nico. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I watched this. You know, I can tell you exactly why you watch this, because we were talking with someone. We were talking with Darren about this. Yeah, we were talking about Seagal movies after Phantasm. That's right. And you were like, oh, I've got to watch Above the Law, probably. It's true. That that must be what, because I was going through my stuff, and I'm like, oh, Above the Law. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah, because I was told that Steven Seagal story. Um, so this is a yeah. So so Steven Seagal, it's his, his American film debut in a starring role. Uh, this is directed by Andrew Davis, who had just come off, uh, I think, Code of Silence, we yep. have the Chuck Norris movie, yep. and he went on to do stuff like The Fugitive. So he's you know a competent action director for sure. Um, he also made The Final Terror, which is a oh yeah for a slasher movie. Yeah, I almost watched that with Daryl Hannah. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is from 1988, and um, Steven Seagal plays a cop, a really well dressed cop. Yeah, he's he's really quite dapper in this movie. He's got really he's got really quite the cool 80s this is, wardrobe. This is this is like skinny, cool ponytailed, leather jacketed. Yeah, Steven Seagal. He's got that cool voice like yeah. this, which I totally can't replicate. Yeah, Pam Greer is his partner, yep. which is cool, but she's she's got a terrible wardrobe. <laughs> um, it's the 80s, dude. Henry Silva is the villain, yep. who's always a great villain. And Sharon Stone plays uh, Nico's wife. Yeah, and the last and, time I remember seeing Sharon Stone before this was Action Jackson with Carl Weathers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and Alan Quartermain and the Fortress of Gold. So oh, this yeah. was as she was getting... Uh, this is pre-Basic Instinct. This is pre-Snatchot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, it is. Um... I don't know, man. I mean, there there was a lot of cool fight scenes. There was a really good action sequence in a parking garage. Wasn't there uh, one on top of a subway car, subway train? Like, um, there was there was no fighting. Like but he jumps on it. He or jumps onto yeah, okay. it. Yeah, there was a there was a hotel a fight in a hotel kitchen. There was a bar fight where you actually see Michael Rooker for like he has one line. It's kind of weird to see him like just pops in and he's like, well, there's a Nico or something like that, <laughs> and he's gone. Like he had one line. Does he get knocked out at least? Nope. There was a fight in a meatpacking area, like a kind of like a shootout. Um, Yeah, I mean, it had it had it had some moments. Um, It had a really sleazy bartender, and who was played by Ronnie Barron, who um, actually was played on a few Tom Waits albums as a as a musician, which is kind of odd. 
Um, but overall, I just, um, I don't know. I mean, I thought Seagal was pretty cool in this, but uh, I, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of kind of boring like i uh i thought it was like it just didn't again here i go again but it didn't uh it didn't bring those like when i first saw this back in the 80s i thought it was fucking awesome cool but um this time i I wasn't quite as into it i i watched this probably two years ago and i have the same reaction as you oh really yeah i i didn't really care for it now huh i much prefer like hard to kill and like out for justice and stuff like that, like yeah. under siege. I like those ones better. I I don't know. There was just, I felt like there's something shoddy about this movie in some ways. Yeah, like it's trying to deliver all the action, but I was just like, kind of like you. I'm just kind of like, I'm not really into this. Yeah, I just, I'm not buying into it. I I guess because I don't really think Seagal's that great of an action hero compared to some of the other guys out there. Yeah, and I didn't remember him that much like I when we were talking cuz we were talking mm. about this like off off the podcast about a week ago. And um I remember thinking, yeah, I mean, cuz we didn't even bring him up in our like top 10 action guys, I yeah. don't think. Did we? No. No, I don't think we did. Well, we were doing 80s movies and he really only made two movies in the 80s. 80s action movies. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, you would think that one of his but n- n- none of us picked them. No. And um yeah, so I was just curious as to why. I so yeah, maybe I'll just check cuz um, we, when we were in this discussion, like it was sort of, we were talking about it and the other person did say, oh yeah, well no, he was really pretty cool in those early ones. So I thought, well, fuck it. I'll check out one of the early ones. And, uh, he, he was definitely cool. He was cool. I'll give him that. Well, cooler than he is now, but it just wasn't as, as, uh, I just wanted it to be more exciting than it was. Yeah. yeah. No, above the loss. I, I, I'm the, I'm, I'm the same with you on that. I tried to revisit it and I didn't do it for me. Yeah. Like some of these 80s movies that I've revisited lately, I'm still like, oh, yeah, I'm down with this. Like when we watched Missing in Action movies, right? I'm kind of yeah. like, I'm still down with these. These are pretty cool. When I watch Commando still, I'm like, oh, yeah, fucking Commando. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but above the law, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Just kind of shrug my shoulders and move on. Well, I did put all the rest of this, the early Seagal movies into my Amazon shopping cart, so we'll see what happens with those ones. Oh, well, <laughs> there we go. I'm telling you, man, Hard to Kill's better. Is it? And it's pre crazy <laughs> Kelly LeBlock, so <laughs> Kelly LeBlock? Kelly LeBrock. <laughs> LeBlock. Cool. LeBlock. Anyway, let's move on to another bad movie that I watched. <laughs> no. This is the last this is the last truly bad movie I watched. Oh, I've got though. a really bad one. This is up. the Don't worst worry. movie I watched in the since we last talked. Oh wow. I watched a British movie from two thousand and eight called Lesbian Vampire Killers. Oh, it's that bad. Pretty awesome title, right? Well, yeah, because as soon as I saw the, the Blu-ray today when you brought it over, I was like, fuck yeah, I want this. Pretty terrible movie. Yeah. You make a movie called Lesbian Vampire Killers, you should have some more lesbian nudity stuff in it. Well, it's just an expectation you have going into the film. So, just I have to ask this. Are okay. they killers of lesbian vampires, or yeah. are the vampire killers lesbians? The vampires are lesbians. The guys killing them are just horny dudes. So they're killers. They're so it should be called lesbian vampire killers. That's what it's called. But they're not like it's not like we're the gang of lesbian vampire killers, meaning we're lesbians that are killing vampires. <laughs> That'd be a better movie. It's still like the could you imagine of, some like butch the lesbian biker gang just fucking killing bite uh, killing vampires? Well, the title's confusing because told- I was imagining a bunch of lesbians killing vampires. Not a bunch of killing guys killing lesbian vampires. 
Like the fucking title is terrible. I would I would totally be down with a lesbian biker gang killing vampires. Fuck Somebody yeah. make that movie for us. <laughs> I'm down with that. So anyway, even before I watched this movie, all I thought of was like, oh fuck, this is gonna be like a Shaun of the Dead doghouse kind of movie, you know, just like, oh, that self effacing like wink wink humor with like you know, I and, like Shaun of the Dead. Well, so do I. I love Shaun of the Dead. But you know what I mean? It's like one of those kind. Yeah. And this is one that plays with the legend of Camilla. Because, oh. you know, if you're going to have lesbian vampires, you have to have Camilla. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's about these two friends, Jimmy and Fitch, played by Matthew Horn and James Corden. James Corden, a lot of people know now for having like an right. American talk show where he does like fucking karaoke in cars with celebrities or something. It's really <laughs> dumb. Um <laughs> So, you know, he gets dumped. Jimmy gets dumped. Flitch is fired as a party clown after he slugs out a seven-year-old kid. I'm like, okay, okay, start. They go to this town called Craigwich, and they end up, like, fighting lesbian vampires because Camilla's come to town and, like, is starting to turn this, like, German sports team into, like, lesbians and vampires. And it's just, like, no no real blood. Like, it's weird because when the, when the... When the lesbians get killed, like the vampire lesbians get killed, they explode in like this big white cloud that I'm assuming is supposed to be the filmmakers being like, ha semen, ha ha joke, ha like, Oh, I get it. Yeah, you know, like that. And like, the, So the lesbians are exploding into a cloud of semen? The vampires do, yeah. They explode the into fuck? this cloud of white fluid. Oh, it's like wet. Yeah, it's like, it's like you're being sprayed with like man chowder. But why are the lesbians turning into semen they're vampires when they get staked they're blowing up in this cloud of like white semeny kind of substance. so like do people get covered in the semen yeah it's stupid Ew. it's stupid gross and so also for a movie that's supposed to have lesbians there's no nudity barely um <laughs> it's, it's kind it's kind of like it's wants to be a, a spoof of hammer films but without the jokes and without the nudity and without the gore, you know, it's got a vicar character who's an obvious Peter Cushing Van Helsing homage. It's got one joke that has a vampire exploding and all that's left of her is him holding her implants in his hands. Oh, you know, it's that kind of humor. It's got some really bad CG at the end and some lingering girl kisses, but no girl nudity. It's just a fucking terrible movie. It's terrible. Wow. I, I cannot recommend you to watch this. Um, I think it's funny that a lot of places for its North American release, it was just retitled Vampire Killers. Apparently, well, at least that makes sense. Apparently having the word <laughs> lesbian in the title is offensive to some people. And confusing. Yeah, it, it's a bad movie. Yeah. Moving on. All right. Let's talk about your bad movie now. Oh, you want to talk about Let's my... get him out of the way. All right. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. My bad movie is called VHS Viral. Oh, really? Oh, fuck. Wow. Yeah. You liked the first two. I did. Huh. A lot. Wow. I did not like this one. Wow. A lot. Really? And I bought this movie twice. I I did. You did. I feel <laughs> really bad for you. Uh, anyway, what a fucking waste of this franchise. Um, so this was 2014. This is the third in the series of VHS movies. And final, apparently. Good. Um, so VHS movies are anthology movies. Um, I've talked about the first two on this podcast before. I really liked the first one. 
kind of liked the second one. Kind of hated the third Did not one. like the third one. So it, this one had some talent behind it. Now, like guys like Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett were um, involved with the first two. Um, they were not involved with this one. So the main selling point for me on this one was um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who um, directed Spring, um, which was one of my top movies of last year. Um, so they did one of the segments, which I'll get to in a second. But um, uh, I'll just go through the segments here. So um, there was a wraparound story. It was about an ice cream truck chase um, with like a police chase and people were trying to like catch it on viral video. Hence the title VHS viral, even though there was no fucking VHS in this movie, it was like someone doing it on their cell phone. Um, that was directed by Marcel uh, Sarmiento, um, who directed dead girl. Um, this was definitely not dead girl. It uh, just was kind of a, uh, with all of the VHS movies, I found the wraparounds to be awful. Sorry. Right. Um, this certainly uh, was like the others in that respect. So then we get into the first story, which was called uh, Dante the Great. Um, this is directed by Greg Bishop, who uh, gave us Dance of the Dead, which Chris uh, talked about. I, I like that movie. Yeah, Chris talked about on our zombie episode, which, yeah, uh, yeah I, I haven't seen it, but it, uh, it's supposed to be a pretty fun movie. Um, so this is about a magician who, um, uh, this kind of like this like loser guy who acquires this um, uh, cape that I believe used to belong to Houdini. And he, um, when he wears the cape, he can perform these like in, insane illusions and magic acts, and he becomes really famous. And then it's sort of about his rise and fall and his like um, power mad, you know, obsession with this cape. Fuck, this is stupid. Like I hated the lead actor in this. I, I like it just he drove me crazy. But the one thing that was pissing me off about this is that it wasn't found footage. Like this whole fucking sorry, holy crap! I'm swearing a lot tonight. <laughs> But the whole premise of this franchise is that it's supposedly VHS tapes that have been found and some then were watching the, this footage, like the typical found footage thing. But this one, the, it was like all kinds of different camera angles. Like it clearly was not a found footage movie. So it was, it was not a very good anthology story. Like I did not like this at all. And um, I didn't like the acting. I didn't like the plot. And I was pissed off that it wasn't a found footage thing. So that was Dante the Great. Then we have one called Parallel Monsters. Um, this one was directed by Nacho uh, Vigolando, who um, uh, directed Time Crimes. And Open Windows. And Open Windows. Yep. And um, this was about um, this guy who like creates this uh, portal in his basement, and he can um, it, it basically opens up a, a parallel dimension. And he he's opens up this portal and then looks through the portal and sees himself but like a, himself in a parallel dimension. And what happens is him and his parallel dimension self have a little chat, and then they're like, hey, why don't we trade dimensions for 15 minutes? They do the vice versa, 18 again kind of thing. Yeah. So they, go th- they each go through the portal, and this was actually kind of cool. I mean, I kind of liked this one, um, it, but it wasn't as good as the ones in the first movie. And, you know, I mean, liking something after Dante the Great was not a fucking <laughs> stretch, believe me. Um, so it was it was kind of a neat premise. I mean, there was uh, some aliens and sort of alien creatures involved. There were, like, dick monsters and stuff like that. So, dick monsters? Like a dick that turned into a monster. Oh. So it was kind of a neat 
premise and it, you know it sort of held my attention i was like okay i can kind of go with this a little bit you know it, was, it, it brought it it brought the movie up a level after the terrible wraparound and the terrible first story so then after this we had more wraparound bullshit and then then we get to the last one which is called bone storm and this is the one directed by benson and moorhead and i really like i really like these guys and um man oh man like what the fuck i don't even know what happened like okay so this was it's it's a couple of skaters wearing GoPro, so thank God we're at least on the VHS concept, sort of. Um, and they they decide to go to Tijuana because there's good skateboarding down there, and they can get weed and stuff. So they go down to Tijuana and they find this like um, area where they can skate. So it's sort of like the um, kind of reminded me of like you know in at the end of Greece, you know, like that part of LA where there's a like waterway where it's all concrete. Yeah. It's kind of like like a, just this kind of weird concrete. You're talking about the car chase scene in Greece, Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah it's yeah, kind okay. of like this weird concrete area. Yeah, you always see those in movies where they're like in L.A. and they go down. It's kind of like a, um, I think it's like a sewer drainage system yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, It kind of reminded me of that. Like it wasn't as big as that, but it was kind of that sort of s- scenario. And they're, you know, these kids are in there skating around in there and doing like their little stupid jumps and shit and then they're um, called ollie's man yeah whatever fuck you go watch thrashing again you need a lesson <laughs> i just bought thrashing a dollarama fuck yeah um so they're skating away and then all these then all of a sudden like all these like skull monsters show up and i guess i guess there's like in the in this like place where they're doing their skateboard tricks there's like a few like um tell me there's an indian burial ground come on well they're kind of like shrines and I think one of them like pours alcohol over one of the shrines. Maybe one of them pisses on the shrine. I don't remember. But anyway, something happens to the shrine. And next thing you know, they've got all these like you've got a few like weird looking like Day of the Dead decked out women, and then all these like skull monsters. And they're like they're like they're kind of like the monsters in like Tombs of the Blind Dead. Um, like in that they really look like they're these really kind of cool skeleton monsters. One thing I will say about this this segment is the monsters, like these skeleton monsters, were pretty cool looking. But then it just goes on with with like so the skateboarders are like, oh, we're surrounded by all these skull skull monsters, and then it just fucking goes on for like twenty minutes of like GoPro skating and hitting the skull monsters on the head with the skateboards. I'm not joking. Like it just <laughs> on and on and on and on. Wham, bang, bang, skate, skate, skate. Wham, bang, bang, skate, skate, skate. Like, I would have been, like, way out of dodge. Like, I, would, I wouldn't have been, oh, I'll, I'll just fucking hit this monster, and then I'll just skate some more, and then I'll hit this other one, and I'll skate some more. Like, they just stay in the area. Like, they don't leave. It's, it was really weird. So I guess some extra bonus points. Like Tony Hawk Pro Skater when they do that. <laughs> Baby. You're, you just totally aged yourself. Tony I know Hawk I did. Pro Skater. I know I did. Um, anyway, it was just, I just felt really kind of gypped because I, like I said, these filmmakers are great. They're great. They're great uh, both visually and, and like story wise. I mean, Spring was fucking awesome, but there was no story here. It was just this like weird action set piece that, you know, felt like it should have been on like. I don't know much much music. Like it felt like some like weird music video. Like or or it felt like something you'd see on like Jackass or something. Like mm. you know, like that kind of like cheap. It was just yeah, just a total letdown. I'm Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> Welcome to Skull Crushing. Yeah. So yeah, and then that that was kind of the end of it. Um, there's apparently I didn't I didn't actually see this, but there's a, apparently another 
another segment after the credits uh, directed by uh, Todd Lincoln called Gorgeous Vortex. I didn't even see that because I didn't even really give a shit at that at this point. <laughs> and I certainly wasn't going to wait through the credits. But yeah, total total bummer, man. Like I really kind of dug this franchise, but this was a this was a big letdown. So good Buy- luck getting rid of get Buy- rid of, get rid of one of them at least, Chris. Buyer beware, is what Josh <laughs> saying. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the 80s for my next one. Um, recently, Warner Brothers released two Stephen King, three Stephen King movies on Blu-ray. Right. They released It, Salem's Lot, and the subject I'm going to talk about, Cat's Eye. All right. Now, Cat's Eye is an anthology movie. Um, the box incorrectly states it as Stephen King's first screenplay, which it is not, because that's Creepshow. Oh, okay. But um, two of the stories in here are based on... Tales he did in uh, Night Shift, which right. is a book I really loved back when I was a kid. Uh, it's directed by Louis Teague, who did Cujo and Alligator. There's some nice nods, actually, to Cujo and Christine in the opening credits because uh, our our main cat, cat character is running away from a dog who looks like Cujo and is almost hit by a uh, Chevy-like Christine. Oh, cool. Um so basically, this is a movie I had like I'd seen on cable when I was a kid, and I've always kind of had a soft spot for it. I've always found it to be entertaining, if not exactly like heavy on the horror. Just kind of one of those movies like if you have a a weekend day and you're kind of like I want to watch something mindless, it's something you would throw on and enjoy. Yeah, and I still feel that way exactly about the movie now. Um, the first story is called Quitters Incorporated, and this is James Woods. And I really love James Woods, and I just I haven't seen him in a while in anything, so it was really yeah. good to see him in young form here, like being his smarmy self. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he goes to this place called Quitters Incorporated, and he wants to quit, you know, smoking. And their methods are pretty extreme, you know. They like, you know, the the owner played by Alan King. He's like smashing his cigarettes on his desk and like shocking this cat to try and prove a point. Like, oh, well, if this cat goes towards the food dish then we shock it so that it doesn't want the food anymore and you know that's the kind of thing we're trying to do with you and your cigarette smoking right and then uh you know he also you know at at one point he's like oh how's your wife and kid doing yeah i know where they go to school i know where they live you know stuff like that like just these threats right yeah that is a great story that if he doesn't like you know quit smoking they're gonna basically do bad shit to him didn't they like threaten to rape his wife or something? Yeah, like, they do. Like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like this is a PG-13 movie, kind of aimed at kids, and they're like, "If you don't quit, we'll rape your wife." I'm like, "What the fuck? Where is this coming from?" Yeah, but uh, you know, he's like a mob boss, basically. Alan King's character, he's like a mob boss who just happens to be running this like rehabilitation <laughs> clinic, and uh, you know, I think it's a a pretty fun introductory introduction story here um you know there's a party scene where james wood's having these you know these illusions of like smoking he's having these hallucinations of all the party guests like smoking all these cigarettes and laughing at him and everything you know it's kind of fun and james woods is is great in this and alan king is great and there's your typical twist in it and you know it's a fun story um the second story is called The Ledge, and this is also a, a really fun story. Yeah, this, this is, is a great um, anthology, man. This is like a wager-loving uh, guy played by... I can't remember who Robert the guy Hayes. is. Robert Hayes. No, Robert Hayes is the other guy. I can't remember the actor's name right now. Um, but he, it's in Atlantic City. This guy really loves bets. He's like this kind of this, like, you know, this big wig better. And, uh, you know, the cat who's been in 
all these stories, he runs through this story too because they have a wager on him. Like, oh, do you think he's going to make it across this busy freeway or not? And they bet on <laughs> if it's going to get killed by a car and stuff. <laughs> and from there, um, we're introduced to Robert Hayes, who's this like kind of gambler guy. He's from the airplane movies. Yeah. He has a drinking problem. You'll get that joke if you've seen Airplane. <laughs> and um, he's having an affair with this high roller gambler types guy's wife. So he basically kidnaps him takes him up to his penthouse apartment and makes a bet with him that he can't walk around the ledge of the building. Yeah. Which is like a, you know, a five or six inch wide ledge. It's like, if you make it around this high, around the building to the other side of my penthouse, not only will I give you this money, you can have my wife. Yeah. You know what they, this guy doesn't expect is that, you know, this guy's going to do everything in his power to stop him from getting around the outside of this building. You know, he's like spraying him with a fire hose and shit like that. Right. Yeah. So it's got, it's kind of got that same kind of like morbid, but like playful spirit of the first story. But you know, there's so there's a really like friggin' really morbid twist at the end of the story that I really loved. And I think the first two stories in this are really, really solid. Yeah. And I think this is actually, it's kind of an underrated anthology movie in a way because you don't hear people talk about this a lot, really, Cat's Eye. Yeah, it's a great one. Those first two, at least. Yeah, the first two. Then we get to the third one, which is definitely not as good. Yeah. It's called General. It's the only original Stephen King story in this one. Uh, Drew Barrymore's the main girl in it. She's a little girl, and she actually was in the first two stories. It's really weird because in the first story, the cat's looking at this mannequin in this, in uh a store window and it like kind of morphs into Drew Barrymore saying, you have to come and save me. Oh, really? Yeah. And then in the second story, she shows up on like a television on some TV show and does the same thing, like breaks the fourth wall and looks at the cat and t- gives it instructions. It's really fucking weird. Oh, weird. So basically the cat shows up at Drew Barrymore's house. She befriends it. And the cat takes a protector role because at night, this tiny troll is coming out of the walls to try and steal Drew Barrymore's breath. Right. Um, the monster's done by Carlos Rombaldi, who did E.T. Yeah. He also did a really bad 80s horror movie that I kind of like called Primal Rage. Okay. Which you should check out if you want to see people getting crushed by a, uh, a folding high school gymnasium staircase. Ooh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and... Um, you know, the troll is just basically staged by POV shots and like, you know, an obvious little person in a suit with big set and giggling and has this little knife and he's threatening Drew Barrymore and the parents don't believe there's a troll. They think the cat's out to hurt their daughter and stuff like that. The effects are fun. It's the most kid-friendly of the whole story. It's like you go from a story, the first story that says, I'm going to rape your wife if you don't yeah. quit smoking to like, I'm a little troll. I'm going to see your breath. Hee hee hee. Giggle, giggle, giggle. It's it is what it is. Yeah. It's it's silly. It's goofy. It doesn't really fit in with the tone of the first two. It's kind of the weakest story here, but, you know, I like the effects, if nothing else. But, yeah, I, I think Cat's Eye is a fun movie. Yeah. Like, it definitely sounds like a better anthology than VHS Viral. Fuck yeah, it is. So, uh, <laughs> it's actually good. I'm actually glad to see Warner releasing these three movies on Blu-ray. Like, yeah, I'd pick this up if I didn't have the DVD unopened still. Yeah, like Salem's <laughs> Salem's Lot, It, and, and Cat's Eye, I'm really happy they're releasing them and that they're releasing them as, like, retail instead of their Warner Archive 
burn on demand kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's great. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd say if you haven't seen Cat's Eye and you dig anthology movies, definitely pick this one up. It's like 10 bucks. Yeah. So it's worth the admission. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. Yep. All right. Well, all right. Well, why don't we... Um, actually, we'll get this one out of the way. <laughs> um, it's sad when you're saying we'll get this one out of the <laughs> no, way. No. This is a good one. Um, but I don't have a lot to say about it. So we'll just get it out of the way quick. Okay. Um, I, I'm trying to get through some of my... Um, some of the Arrow titles I picked up. So uh, uh, one I watched was in this... Um, in the Stray Cat Rock uh, box set. Um, I've already talked about the first movie, Delinquent Girl Boss, on a past episode. Um, so this is the next one in the series. It's called Wild Jumbo. Um, it's from 1970. Um, directed by Toshiya Fujita. Um, so obviously a Japanese movie. Um, this, the, these are all Japanese uh, kind of like uh, like young young people gone wild movies. Kind of like delinquent movies. Delinquent crime movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Fujita um, is probably best known for doing the Lady Snowblood movies in the mid seventies. Um, so this one stars Lady Snowblood herself, Miko Kaji, who you know, everyone knows I love. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's one of the stars. So it's this is kind of a weird one because the first uh, I'd say it's about a ninety minute movie, and the first hour of it is just like um, this group of about five young people that are kind of hooligans just being hooligans like they're going getting into fights and they you know they're driving around in this kind of like jeep dune buggy they have and you know like one part they're driving around the beach and like the she's driving and like the three guys are like flashing their asses and like mooning people like so it's just kind of this like silly like yeah really just kind of silly and they're not what's wrong with that well because they're just yeah it's kind of like it's It's like a beach party movie in japan it's like a beach party movie but i was expecting i'm expecting like i was expecting like the first one right like um where it was more like a you know girl gang movie right but this was not like that this was like a like chris said it was like a beach party movie so yeah miko kaji's in it she plays a character called cko there's another guy named Taki. Um, he, he's there. There's um, Tetsuyu of Fuji, who um, I'm is quickly becoming one of my favorite Japanese actors. I've talked about him. Uh, he was in Massacre Gun. He was like the really real cool guy. Also in Retaliation. Also in Delinquent's uh, Girl Boss. So he's he's always he's always seems to be popping up. And he wasn't quite as cool in this one. He was kind of like um, like the chubby member of the gang, but he was also kind of like the toughest one. Um, anyway, after about an hour of this, like these like shenanigans, um, then it suddenly, like, kind of without warning, turns into a heist movie. Because um, during just, the first, I just gave you a quizzical look. During the first hour, one of their shenanigans was um, they um, they kidnap, they sort of kidnap this woman that. Like, one of the characters has this crush on this girl. How so, can kidnapping someone be considered a shenanigan? Well, they they, <laughs> they sort of kidnap her. Do they like, giggle when they're doing it? Well, they're, like, kind of like, oh, like, the, the one one of the characters kind of likes this kind of rich girl. and so she uh, has a crush. There's a scene where she's driving, and they're like, ha-ha, and then they, like, a couple of the people in the gang, like, shoot a gun at her tire and blow at her tire. So she's, so she's like, kind of, like, sidelined, and then they, then they go come 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 to help her and basically take her away with them but like you so know they, Annette and Frankie wouldn't do this they shit. don't they don't really kidnap her because she's not like against it like she's kind of willing 
but it's kind of like so she gets a gunshot at her car and she's willing to go with these people yeah it's kind of weird anyway like the whole thing is like all these japanese movies have weird elements anyway one thing leads to another and it it turns into this heist movie where they um i don't even i don't i should have written down more notes on this fucking thing but anyway it turns out that there's this like um uh, some sort of festival going on and there's this um convoy with like a police officer in this car that has all this money so then they decide you know what we're gonna rip off that car so they come up with this elaborate scheme as to how they're gonna like basically run this car off car off the road and take the money and steal it and then they're gonna take off and then of course as in most heist movies things start going sideways and um and then the movie ends um so for the first hour of this i was like not really liking it that much, especially after Delinquent Girl Boss, which I really did like. But the, the last half hour of this movie was really fucking solid. Great, great little heist thing. I just wish there was more of it. I wish that they had maybe limited the uh, hijinks for the, you know, maybe to the first half hour and then gotten to the actual plot. But uh, this one, uh, just I just felt it lingered too long on the shenanigans before we got into the actual movie. But when they did get into it, it was a really really cool little ice movie so i still recommend it i still think it's a pretty cool box set i'm still looking forward to the other three so um hopefully i'll get to the next one soon okay cool now when i first started watching this movie when we went to see phantasm i was partially through this movie and i used those immortal words that you love to hear josh i think you're right Oh, you, you, oh, you. I know. Yeah. Josh, Josh, Josh loves it when I say that to him because he likes to like preen around like, oh, yeah, I'm right. Chris yeah, had to I'm say gonna... you're right twice in one day. I know. That's fucking awesome. That's weird. <laughs> um, so I started watching A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master. <laughs> and we had had this discussion when we talked about the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Where, A quite you know, animated, violent you know, discussion. Part three and part four and how, you know, he's crazy because part four is not nearly as good as three and so on and so forth. <laughs> and when we met up that day, I was about halfway through and I said, Josh, you might be right. This might be a little bit better than three. Now, I've watched the entire thing, and you're partially right. Ooh. So you're not completely right. I'm right. I still do like three a bit better, but four, I do feel like... Really? I, I do feel like with four, I did undervalue it as a movie, as a sequel. You still like three better? I still like three a little better. Wow. But I do like four a lot more than I remember liking. Yeah. So basically, Freddy's back again. Killing the kids, yada, yada, yada. You know, we've talked about this movie in past episodes, so I'm not going to go too in-depth. Rennie Harlan's in, in the helm, and I've said in the past how much I really enjoy Rennie Harlan movies, and yeah. I think like he's a fun director who just doesn't get enough credit. What made you watch this? I just like, I've been slowly working my way through the Blu-ray box set. Yeah. And one night I was just like, you know, it's October, it's late at night. What can I watch that I probably won't fall asleep to? Yeah. So I started watching this. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I I like the set pieces in this movie. I think it's got a, a better sense of humor than the third one for sure. Yeah. Like it's more it's more fun than the third one, I guess. In a sense that it's, you know, this is when Freddy was really becoming that pop culture kind of yeah. one-liner cracking kind of guy. And, you know, I don't like that so much in Dream Child and Freddy's Dead. 
but I found the balance in this one to be okay. Yeah. Like I found that this was the last, probably this is probably the last movie I'm going to really accept him being this like joke cracking jackass. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is the last one I'm going to let that fly. Um, I mean, come on, man. Freddy gets resurrected by a dog pissing fire. Like, I don't know how that happened or why that happened, but that scene alone makes this worth seeing. Um, It's got, it's got Linnea Quigley barely recognizable, like trying to burst out of Freddy's chest naked at the end. That's pretty cool. I recognize Um, part of her. You know, it's got that famous Roach Motel part. You can check in, but you can't check out. You know, stuff like that. It's got a really cool soundtrack. It's the first... Time I ever heard of Dramarama with Anything Anything, which is like one of my favorite 80s songs now. Yeah. Um, it's got uh, Tuesday Night, who who took over for uh, Patricia Arquette as Kirsten in this one. She actually sings the title song that yeah. plays over the credits, which I thought was like, that's weird. And, you know, she didn't really do much acting or I don't know what happened to her, but she's kind of cute in this movie, but yeah. they kind of pass the reins off to this girl, Alice played by Lisa Wilcox. who's kind of like that nebbish, you know, kind of awkward. She's a redhead high right? schooler. And yeah, you know, like she that. gets more exposure in the next movie, but she was kind of fun. I just thought this movie was entertaining. Like it was a likable movie. It's silly. The special effects are kind of fun. You know, there's that stupid jaws thing with Freddie on the beach, <laughs> you know, and this claw cutting through the water, like a shark fin. And, you know, it's more fun than I remembered. Yeah. And Josh is partially right in saying that, you know, maybe people shit on part four a bit too much. Yeah. You know, I I think it's almost equal to part three. Oh, just say it, man. Fuck. Okay. It's equal to part three. (laughs) I just... I I know you want to say it. I totally totally fucking hate admitting you're right sometimes. (laughs) But, yeah, it, it's a fun movie. I, I think it's all downhill from here for me because, you know, I remember not liking Dream Child or Freddy's Dead that much. So we'll see how it goes. We'll it, see how it it's goes. It's all downhill from here. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, why don't we talk about a movie called Hire to Kill because it's fucking great. Okay, let's talk about Hire to Kill, a movie I really want to see after I read your review on the site. Thank you. Um, so this is a... Um, a 1990 action movie that I had not heard of until Arrow Video decided to put it out. I had heard of. I, I know year. the director though. Yeah, directed by Nico Masterakis, uh, who's um, a Greek director. Yep. And um, but I didn't know about this movie. And uh, yeah, did you no. know about this movie? No, I didn't. I, yeah, which is funny because I know about almost all of his other stuff. Yeah, and. Um, so Masterakis is kind of known for like um, first thing he did was Island Island of Death, which yeah. I've talked about before. Kind of a notorious, notorious exploitation, kind of sleazy, shocker, bad taste movie. Yeah, but and he also did he, like the Zero Boys and uh, the Wind and Sky High. Yeah, so he did a bunch of eighties movies, and I think this was his biggest budget movie. And um, the other thing that I mean, the cast on this movie kind of sold me on it. I mean, we so for like character actors, we have. George Kennedy is in this. Hell yes. We have fucking Oliver Reed. Hell like, yes. At his is it drunk Oliver Reed? Drunk Oliver oh, Reed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, in the starry role, we have Brian Thompson. Now, as an action hero, you're not. A lot of people are going to be like, who the fuck is Brian oh, Thompson? Oh, I know who Brian Thompson is. Yeah, Brian Thompson is rad. Like, yeah. Brian Thompson is. Yeah, he's he was the heavy in a lot of 
I'd have to say that after Robert Zadar, Brian Thompson has that jawline that I remember the most. Yeah, but Brian Thompson's kind of a good-looking guy. No, yeah, yeah. but he's just got that stoic, like, tough. Tough, yeah. Yeah, he's got that, like, punch me in the jaw, I won't feel it kind of look to him. Yeah, exactly. He's, um, like, I recognize the most from, like, early seasons of The X-Files. He played this, like alien bounty hunter that was walking around with that little like device that like had this spike come out of it like x-files fans will know what i'm talking about i have no idea but he was that guy (laughs) um and he was very effective in x-files and um 80s 80s fans will also know him as the um the villain in uh cobra Um, yeah he played the night slasher cobra yeah, and he's been in tons of shit. But anyway, he he is. He usually plays a heavy. He usually he's usually like the yeah, like the henchman or the bad guy. And um and uh but in this one he's a, he's got the leading role as as an action hero, which was really cool. Um so the the, the premise of this movie is that there's this um it's 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 a an island called Cipra. And Oliver Reed is this like dictator of this island, and he's got um, imprisoned. He's got the um, leader of the rebels, played by Mel Ferrer, another great character actor. And George Kennedy goes to Brian Thompson because Brian Thompson's kind of like this mercenary. And and I gotta say, the movie opens like the opening shot of this movie is Brian Thompson lying on his uh, on his boat in in like sleeping, and the phone rings, and he like just reaches back pulls out a gun and shoots the phone because it's annoying him. Like, that's the kind of character we got. And I got to say, I just looked up this movie and his character name is Frank Ryan. You yeah. can't get much more 80s action movie <laughs> hero name than Frank Ryan. Exactly, yeah. So George Kennedy calls calls Frank Ryan over to his um, office and he's like, look, you got to go in and you got to save Mel Ferrer from this thing. And we've got this plan. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to get you this group of women and they're all like going to be trained in like fighting and killing, but they're also going to be trained how to be runway models. And your job is you're going to go in with this group of women and save Mel Ferrer. But your cover is that you're going to be a gay fashion designer <laughs> going in to show off your new line uh, to Oliver Reed and his and his people, and with your with your models with you and that's your cover Uh, so then brian thompson like tough guy brian thompson has to then go over there and act like he's gay does he wear an ascot what's an ascot like the scarf i think he does wear a scarf that's awesome so like now of course it's probably the last thing this guy wants to be doing so it, it kind of plays on that and um it's it's pretty it's a pretty ridiculous premise and it's got like one of my favorite, like, as all 80s movies had, like, the training montage, you know, like, in, oh, like, oh, Jim yeah. Cata and all those. Yeah, there was always, like, sport. the montage where they're, like, you know, getting good at, like, how to fight. Yep. So this one, it, like, it's got this, like, five-minute-long training montage of, like, Brian Thompson, like, training the women, right? So, like, it'll be, like, but it would, like, be, like, it'll show him, like, you know, he'll be, like, leaning back with his feet up, like, firing a gun as they're all, like, crawling on the ground, like, trying to, like, dodge the bullets. He, like, right? got his feet up, drinking a beer, firing a gun. Exactly. <laughs> and then it will cut to them, look, like, walking down a runway, like, learning how to do that. 
then it will cut to like them running around like throwing explosives and blowing things up cut back to like them like posing on like in in swimwear like, <laughs> like it's like the weirdest most random uh training montage but it's fucking great and then um yeah and then eventually um they um they have to like complete their mission and try and save mel ferrer and um overthrow oliver reed and uh it's um it's a lot of fun this is a lot of fun and it's it's a lot of a lot of action a lot of like s- silly dialogue like this is a complete cheese fest but it's great i would have loved 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 this when i was uh you know younger but even even now i mean i thought this was a uh, hoot and um just if you buy the arrow um, blu-ray there's also some really great special features there's not a lot there's a commentary on here that was kind of disappointing it's with the editor and it's one of those commentaries where it's like um, they just it's more like an interview with the editor talking about his entire career hmm. which I never understand like why not just have like a on-camera interview with yeah, the editor a talking and, head interview so but so you're not really learning about the movie on the commentary so I, I didn't like that very much but there's a great interview with Nico and there's a great interview with um, Brian Thompson and they both have amazing stories and they both have really amazing Oliver Reed stories so I'll just leave it at that for you to discover yourself if you be Man, to Oliver your... Reed stories are always Oh no, good. there's one that's just <laughs> fucking hilarious. But um yeah, it's it's a great great disc, a real great pickup and uh I, I'd really recommend this if you're a fan of eighties action and cheese for sure. This is a uh, one I would never have even thought of, but uh thanks to Arrow putting this out, I uh have discovered literally a, a diamond in a in a sea of shit. <laughs> so thank you, Arrow. I uh, I really love it when these companies put out something like this instead of the usual, you know, fucking, you know, Christine for the 80th time and Army of Darkness for the 100th time in Hills of Eyes, right? I mean, it's really nice to see something like this getting restored, like that you would never expect. And it's uh, totally worth it. Cool. So I've got two more to go. All right. One of them is hearkening back to when we were talking about the Goonies and how nostalgia sometimes doesn't pan out for us. Because <laughs> I sat through fucking Teen Wolf. Oh, I watched Teen Wolf recently, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Seriously. I tried to show it to a child. Oh, and, my uh, God, dude. Holy he, shit. He, I think he kind of liked it. But... So <laughs> <laughs> this is this movie made this that Michael J. Fox made the same year he became he had the big Back to the Future hit. I think this was actually made before Back to the Future, but came out after. Um, <laughs> generally, it's him being like this. He's Scott. He's just typical teen. His, he's on this high school basketball team. They suck. He kind of finds out he's a werewolf. And then he uses his werewolf powers to not only get the girls, but also to make his basketball team into an awesome team and just be the cool dude he's always wanted to be, even though none of the school... seems to care that he's a fucking werewolf. (laughs) Like the first time he turns into a werewolf is in the middle of a basketball game where they've all piled on him trying to get the ball and you hear this growling noise like and then he throws them all off and he's a fucking werewolf and he proceeds to start dunking the balls and at first people are like looking at him and then they're like start cheering him. I'm like, if there's a fucking werewolf at my high school, I'm running. I'm not like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. This guy's dunking. This is the sweetest thing ever. You know, I'm not. I'm. That's not going to happen. It's so weird. Like no one bats an eye. No, like they're just like whatever. I guess he's a werewolf. 
You know, this is just a movie that's like, the only thing I remember about this movie going in was like that they went surfing on top of a moving van to Beach Boys songs. And I'm like, ooh, how cool is this? You know, and and there was a sequel to this movie with Jason Bateman that was terrible. (laughs) There was a fucking cartoon, Saturday morning cartoon show for a while. And now MTV has got a show that's in its sixth fucking season. Okay, I think the MTV show is is serious. Okay, I, I'm hoping so. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, there, Larry Cohen made a movie four years before this called Full Moon High, which is basically the same story. But I'm guaranteeing you, it's better than this. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. This is a movie I really liked when I was a kid, and then I, when I watched it like 15 years ago, I was still kind of like, ah, it's okay. And now I watched it, and I'm just like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> I was just like, why did I buy this Blu-ray? Yeah, it's you put it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, dude. I don't know. Actually, you know what? I think you gave me your old DVD. I could have. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just oh, it's just so lame. <laughs> <laughs> I hated his friend too, or his brother, or whoever that guy oh, was. Oh, his friend. What's his face? What? Uh, what the hell's his name now? Styles. Oh, he was that yeah. Super sarcastic best friend, right? He's an asshole. Come on, though. bud. Let's party. Yeah, I'm an asshole. Go in the go in the closet with this girl who has a crush on you and make out. Yeah, that's the kind of shit we do at parties in the '80s. I did that once. Yeah, well, but <laughs> the, he girl was, wouldn't, the girl wouldn't make out with me. Though. He always wears those t-shirts too in this movie with slogans on them. And the one I remember the most is he's wearing a t-shirt that says, what are you looking at, dick nose? Yeah. <laughs> and then he proceeds to call people fag through this whole movie. Oh, yeah, I remember I'm just that. like, what the hell? Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's the 80s. And then I shrug my shoulders because, yeah. you know, you can't really get too offended when it wasn't considered that offensive back then, I guess. But it's just a lame movie. Like, there's a scene where he goes to the school dance dressed like fucking John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. And... <laughs> Oh, man. Wow, man. You know, it's like he's busting a move in this makeup, like this this werewolf makeup, while this song plays in the background called Big Bad Wolf. I'm like, this... I'm just like, this is so lame. This it's is so, so lame. And it has even like this this fat guy in it called Chubb. And he's your <laughs> typical fat dude. And he's played this guy called Mark Holton, who's been in a bunch of these 80s movies. It's the fat guy. Like he's in My Chauffeur and stuff like that. And he was There in, were a few of those fat guys in he the was 80s. Like, well, he was like the in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, he was the neighbor who wanted to buy Pee-wee's bike. Oh, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. I'm just like, what's he? doing and then <laughs> oh it's so dated oh, you sound so like distraught it's just man. so dated and lame and i used to love this movie i think i even dislike this more than goonies really i think so wow it's just like at the beginning i was like having that nostalgia feeling like okay okay uh i i, I realize this is gonna be silly but then like halfway through the movie i started getting a little bit like annoyed with it and yeah. that just continued on till the very end because Michael J. Fox's character really becomes a dickhead in this movie, but when he becomes a werewolf, he kind does. Of. He's a total prick. Like, and the girl, of course, there's the girl that, like, obviously yeah, the, is the cool girl the he should, that should be with. For him. Yeah, and, like, he, like, totally blows her off. It's so, yeah, it's just, I can't say if I hate this as much as the Goonies, but I will say that showing this to an 11 year old, I was kind of like, as it was going on, 
I'm like, please, God, don't let this kid think that this is representative of my movie taste. Because <laughs> he's going to like, he. Th- I know he thinks that I've got pretty good taste right now, but that could have just blown it all out with fucking Teen Wolf. So this movie, <laughs> this movie was directed by Rod Daniel, who went on to make such classics as Canine with, with, uh, with James Belushi and uh, Beethoven's Second and a little Joe Pesci diddy called The Super. Wow. So, yeah, quality quality <sighs> well you're like shaking man i'm just gonna end teen wolf with a heavy sigh <laughs> wow yeah i didn't like his dad either i just didn't like the movie dude <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna end my run here with my uh weekly josh's vhs adventures <laughs> my weekly pick <laughs> yeah my weekly vhs pick so or my podcast it's not weekly i guess my bi-weekly bi-weekly my semi-weekly <laughs> bi-weekly bi-weekly what are you talking about here semi-weekly would be twice what a you, week what are you talking about bi-weekly is every second week this 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 is your is this your uh, <laughs> i was gonna go somewhere crude with it's this my one. segment yes josh's phs <laughs> adventures <laughs> all right so for this this week um i have picked a movie called framed from 1975. Joe Don Baker? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. This is that one I, I remember bought, when you were excited when, when I you bought showed up me this. Smithers. So, yeah, a little backstory. I was up in Smithers, BC, which is northern BC. Um, and I was up there for work and I was walking around the town and I saw a video store and I was so happy. That's like when I went to Campbell River, BC this summer when I went camping. Remember I text you a picture of the video store? Yeah, yeah. I was like, look what I found. <laughs> now I did find a few things in the video store, but this was not one of them. But then I walked down the street to the Salvation Army and I found this in the Salvation Army. And yep. I was just like, what the fuck is this like? 1975 Joe Don Breaker prison movie sitting <laughs> at a Salvation Army in Smithers. But, and you're like, I'm buying this. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm buying this because I hadn't heard of it at the time. So this is directed by Phil Carlson, who um, also directed Walking Tall. And he had also done a ton of uh, 50s crime movies. And this one stars <laughs> Joe Don Baker, Buford Poster himself from the original Walking Tall. Yep. I've never liked this guy, man. Do you like Joe? It's one of those actors that, like, he was kind of a big deal back in the 70s. And, you know, he's been another. He's been he's had a pretty steady career. He was in, like, joysticks. He's been in all kinds of things. But he's just one of those guys that just never really worked for me. He just seems to be one of those guys who's always cast in the role of, like, the shop teacher you hated. You're right. Yeah. You know, like just like that, like kind of chubby older guy who is just like so authoritarian and like kind of like the kind of guy who'd like go home after work and just like get a beer and watch TV till he fell asleep. Watch in his football. Recliner. He'd watch fucking yeah, football until he fell asleep in his recliner. <laughs> yeah. And then if his wife be- he woke him up, he'd beat her or something. It's just. Yeah, he was, he was just never really a cool... Well, I wasn't going to go that far. He was, but yeah. he, was, he was never really a cool guy. He's he's just, yeah, like in, in this movie... I didn't I, mind him in Walking Tall, but he's never really Well, been. yeah, like my thing with Walking Tall is I just never could get behind the character. Yeah. I just didn't like him. Yeah. Like I liked Bo Svensson in the sequels, but uh, I didn't like Jodan Baker. Well, that's because Bo Svensson actually looked like he could run around a block without losing breath. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like the opening scene to this movie has like, it's in this like 
weird like roadhouse club and there's this woman there that's um played by connie van dyke um and she's obviously joe don's girlfriend and he's she's like singing to him like she's on stage and she's like a country sort of singer and she's like singing to him like like how much Aww, how in front of like everyone oh she's a darling she's adorbs right and then you know but joe's just fucking gambling you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like no i'm gonna go i'm gonna go she's like well let's go home and he's like no i'm gonna go travel and i'm gonna go do some gambling and then when i come home i'm gonna fall asleep in my <laughs> recliner and when you try and wake me up i'm gonna beat you no but he literally like is like nope i'm gonna go get on a fucking plane and <laughs> go do some gambling <laughs> like that's how far he's going so i'm kind of like okay this guy's kind of a prick and then like <laughs> when they're at the airport like for some reason a bird shits on her head. So I'm kind of like, okay, so this is the kind of movie we're dealing with. Okay, that's cool. I like these kinds of movies. So Jodon goes, does some gambling, wins a bunch of money, comes back. And then he's out driving home one night, presumably drunk. Um, and he um, finds this car sitting on the road. So he's like, oh, there's a car sitting on the road. Maybe I'll see what's going on. And then this guy comes running out of the bushes and like, um, shoots at him and um, and then takes off. And then um, the next thing you know, Joe Don goes home and this cop shows up and starts roughing him up. So it's basically implied that Joe Don was like at the scene of this crime and, and did this murder. So he's kind of being framed for this murder, hence the title Framed. And anyway, there's this big fight in the garage and it's a really kind of brutal fight, like much more than I was expecting. It goes on for like five minutes between Jodon and this cop. And you start to realize... Yeah, okay, he actually managed to keep his breath long enough to have a five-minute fight. He, it was a pretty good fight. Like, they're throwing each other all over. The, it was hmm. a pretty good fight. Pretty bloody. Um, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like... But, so it's in a garage. Did they use any of the, like, tools to beat on each yeah, other? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. They were throwing in, each other in. into cars. Yeah, okay. and Yeah. But I'm kind of like, Jodon's beating up a cop. Like, this isn't <laughs> going to end well, right? So, of course... He actually kills the cop, and then he goes to jail. Well, I guess so. Because the cover of this movie has, like, Joe Don standing in front of a prison. So he goes Which to, would have made me buy it, too. He goes to jail, and then he, like, is in jail. And, you know, one of the first things he does when he's in jail is he beats the shit out of a prison guard. So I'm kind of like... He's dude, really adding... He's really good behavior. He doesn't like authority, I, I gather. <laughs> but he also doesn't like reduced sentencing time. He... Well, yeah he, yeah, he doesn't. So anyway, the four years goes by really quickly. But in jail, he meets up with John Marley with a mustache, which was kind of weird. So John Marley, we've talked about before. The Prowler, He's, right? Uh, Death Dream. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. The Godfather. Um, okay. You'll know John Marley if you see him. And there's also um, another actor here named uh, 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 Gabriel um, Dell. And... Um, He's pretty cool. I, I remember Gabriel Dell from a movie called Earthquake. He played uh, Richard Roundtree's uh, assistant. But um, a lot of people like that are into classics might know him as one of the Bowery Boys. They were a series of movies that were made in the in the fifties uh, and sixties, and Gabriel Dell was one of them. Anyway, um, so Joe Don's in prison. He meets John Marley and Gabriel Dell, and they become friends because of gambling. Um, anyway, Jodon gets out of prison and then decides, you know what? I'm going to go out for revenge against the people that put me here, um, like the corrupt politicians and so forth. And off he goes 
on his revenge thing. And um, there were a lot of characters in here, and I didn't really know what was going on a lot of the time. Like, he'd go after someone, and I'm kind of like, who the fuck's that? And um, <laughs> But it was just Jodon raising hell, so I was kind of okay with it. Um yeah, I mean, there were a few like kind of moments where I was like, "Oh, this that was a little harsh." Like, I think it might have been a little more violent than Walking Tall. Like, there's one scene where, like, you know, he sh- Jodon like shoots someone's ear off. So, like, yeah, kind of reminded me of Reservoir Dogs. It certainly made me think. I wonder if Quentin saw this movie, hmm. which he probably did. Um, there's a really cool train stunt in this movie, which was fucking frightening because. It's it's one of those scenes where there's like a car on the train tracks and the train's coming and the of course the stunt is the train hits the car but you actually there's this shot where like you're seeing the train coming at the car and there's a stunt man like jumping out of the car and it's scary like he literally jumps literally at the last possible second jumps out of the way the car explodes and he's so close that the guy, the stuntman, catches on fire as he's rolling out of frame. It was unbelievable. One of the coolest, like, like stunts that may or may not have gone wrong <laughs> that I've seen. It was really cool. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot more to say about this one just because it was kind of, I don't know. It's just not, I, I just wasn't really liking the Jodon character, but... Um, yeah, there's there's another VHS one for you. And another VHS one that I found, actually, that is coming out on Blu-ray from Kino. So um, there is an upcoming release of this from Kino um, in the next... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. It's coming soon. Like, I'm suing very soon. So, But I don't know if I'd recommend picking up the uh, Blu-ray. But you can certainly uh, buy my VHS copy on eBay if you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Framed with Joe Don Baker. Josh's VHS Adventures! <laughs> All uh, right, and you've got your final pick. I'm going to end with my final movie, which is by far the best movie, my favorite movie that I've talked about here. Um, I finally got around to watching Australian movie, The Loved Ones. Oh, yay! Yeah, and uh, I love this fucking movie, dude. I told you, man. Uh, yeah, well, so did my girlfriend, and yeah. I'd been putting it off forever. And Why? Dude, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's just one of those things, like, you know, you always have these high expectations that you hear from people, and then you just get, like... You get antsy and you get like kind of nervous that you're not going to like it. And then you'll feel like you're going to get made fun of for not liking it. I would have made fun of you if you didn't like it. But dude, I love this fucking movie. Yeah, it's good, man. It's basically about this girl called Lola played by um, Robin McLeavy, who she asked this guy out, Brent, at school. And he's played by Xavier, Xavier Samuel. And... You know, this is six months after he's been in a car crash where his mother's passed away and he's kind of having a hard time dealing with that. He's not really interested in Lola, but uh, she ends up uh, kidnapping him and having her own little prom at her house with the help of her equally psychotic father. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, some of the shit those two get up to is super fucking disturbing. Yeah. Like, wow. Like. What's wrong with Australian people? Like, seriously, like, fucking Wolf Creek. What's and, wrong with No, Australia? but, like, Wolf Creek and this. It's like everyone talks about French extremism and stuff. But I'm seeing a lot of these movies coming from Australia, like Wolf Creek. Uh, uh, this one, there's a couple others that the titles elude me right now, but they're just equally as deranged and, like, demented. Um, you know, 
I like the fact that like they're having their own prom, so you know they they deck out their house with all the decorations. She wears her prom dress. He's in his suit, but he's also tied down to a chair, and they're kind of torturing him. And they've got this old lady there called Bright Eyes, yeah, who's like sitting in this chair, and you're like, she looks like she's got this hole in her forehead, and you're like, is that the mom, or like, what's the deal with this lady? And it's never really explained. And you're kind of like, like this is messed up shit going on right here, right? <laughs> but at the same time. They, the director, the writer director Sean Byrne, he kind of like tries to balance this with like cutting away to to uh, Brett's best friend and his actual prom date with like this goth girl he has a crush on, yeah, and the kind of stuff they get up to. And a lot of people seem to have issues with them cutting away to this. Oh, really? But I fully understand why he's doing it. Yeah, because it's kind of showing like the yin and yang of prom nights like this is a prom that's going well this is the prom from hell yeah this is to kind of cut your tension of being in this victim in this house with this guy you know because like if it was 90 minutes of just them basically torturing this poor dude in the house it would be like really hard to watch oh yeah you know and i i found that that helped alleviate the tension in the mood a little bit um there's some pretty painful stuff in this. And it's like Texas Chainsaw and the fact that it like it does not really show anything. Like a lot of the yeah, stuff in this yeah. movie is implied. Like there's a scene with a drill that I just fucking cringed through the whole goddamn scene. <laughs> you know? There's like this like this scene with like an exacto knife where I was just like oh, by the time it was over I'm just like oh my god right <laughs> like I'm just like I don't get two heebie-jeebies from anything but these two scenes I'm just kind of like man this is some messed up shit going on right yeah. here and and I gotta tell you the McLeavy as Lola and her father yeah. are just so fucking great in this yeah, movie yeah. Like, she is awesome they're just so great like I was convinced these two were fucking bonkers <laughs> like I was just like, wow. Yeah. Like, the thing about movies with psych- psychotic people and that is a lot of times you're not convinced. You're like, oh, they're just acting. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, I was fully on board with them being nuts. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, they're fucking nuts. There's, yeah. n- there's no other escape from this. They're, they're crazy. And uh, I also thought that uh, Xavier Samuel was really good as the main victim. I thought he really brought... He had a little bit more pathos than a lot of victims in these movies do. Like, cause you know, he was dealing with the guilt of losing a parent and all that. And that kind of played into it. But he was also like, what does pathos mean? Pathos, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. Get a dictionary. Cause I'm not going to explain it to you. Just like the mental, like <laughs> cognizance of having to deal with these things. Okay. You know, kind of, that's my loose explanation, which will probably be wrong. But, um, yeah, I just, I really loved this movie. Like, I really do. Like, I don't understand. I love that character, like, because like, you're right. I mean, I think... She's great. No, and the the guy, though. And the guy's Zabriel, really great, too. Like, uh, cause Xavier he's, Samuel, because you, you're given some character development before shit goes down. Yeah, you care about you really do. him getting away. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you don't see that in, like, movies like, you know, Hostel and shit. Because, like, in Hostel, like, I like Hostel as a movie. But the main guys in it are just assholes generally. Yeah, and this guy, I, like, he wasn't, like, a perfect character. Yeah, like, no, he's flawed and yeah, he had but, mental issues. But you did feel, um, you did, you did, you were kind of rooting for him, but not yeah. because he was, like, a really nice guy. Like, you were just, you just wanted him to, like, you were just like, fuck. What well, when sh- you weigh your options, it's this, him or her and her dad. Yeah, you're you, like, I think I want him You're to. just like, man, like, fuck this poor dude. Now this is going on? Jesus. Yeah. There's some twisted yeah. shit in this movie and, um... I'm really glad I finally got around to watching it 
I really loved this movie. Yeah, it's um, awesome. I highly recommend this movie. Uh, he's the director, Sean Byrne, has only made one other movie since this. It's called The Devil's Candy. Came out last year, and it sounds like it's, it sounds like a pretty cool movie. It's about this um, kind of like rock star played by Ethan Embry moving into this house that's haunted. Oh, cool! And it sounds really fun, and I don't think it's played anywhere but film festivals. So I'm really looking forward to that coming out. What's officially. it called again? The Devil's Candy. Nice. And uh, yeah, I loved this movie. I highly recommend it. And once you find out what that title of the movie is alluding to, yeah, you won't forget that shit. Right on. So yeah, great movie. The Loved Ones. Great movie. Yeah, Pathos, a quality that evokes pity or sadness. Yeah. Okay. So I was. Pretty much on track with I what I was saying. I know you've used that word before. I've never known what it meant. I'm on track with that, but I'm a little bit off on my definition, but that's what I meant. <laughs> Sweet. So let's dive into sea monsters or sea creatures or whatever you call them. Water monsters. Water monsters. Remember our, uh, our, our rules here were no nature spawned creatures. So no sharks, no fish. So on and so forth. Yeah, and I've barely seen any water monster movies. So. so I've got a handful of movies that I wrote down because they're movies I enjoy. Um, so why don't we do the typical back and forth on this? And uh, I'll start off with the movie I most recently watched on the list of movies that I have written down. And that would be Humanoids from the Deep. Right. From 1980. I finally put my... Uh, Scream Factory, well, Shout Factory, Blu-ray to good use and watch this movie. It's a 1980 Roger Corman production. It's him cashing in basically on Jaws and a little bit of Alien, especially near the end. Yep. And uh, I, I really, I think it's a really fun movie. It's got a lot of gore. It's got like these kind of humanoid fish monsters created by pollution who their one goal is to basically come to town and rape the women. <laughs> Yeah, and, it's got a lot of other stuff, too. And, and rape the women, kill people, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's about a company kind of wanting to move into this fishing village, and nobody wants them there, and they're kind of dumping chemicals, which is mutating these, making these humanoids from the deep. And uh, the story behind this movie is pretty fascinating, like when you watch the special features and stuff, because they started shooting this movie with the title Beneath the Darkness, and they brought in, like, these Fairly big name actors at the time, like Vic Morrill and Ann Turkle and Doug McClure to be in it. Yeah. But they didn't really tell them how sleazy the movie was going to be when <laughs> yeah, they were this making is a it. sleazy movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they, Corman hired Barbara Peters to be a female director and she'd made like the night school nurse, kind of that candy striper. Night call nurses. Series yeah. And, uh, they, he's like, I hired her and I said, you know, the men have to die really good and the women have to be raped really good, basically. <laughs> and she refused to kind of film the the more exploitive stuff. Like, she killed the guys really well, but when it came to the women part, like all the nudity and that, she kind of didn't shoot that. Oh, so really? So they had to, like, hire... This, this, basically, the assistant director had to go back and reshoot a lot of the most famous scenes of this movie, like, you know, the tent assault... Oh, I know. And all that kind of stuff like that. That was actually not shot by Barbara Peters. Oh, wow. That was all stuff they added like after the movie. And Ann Turkle, who's the the main female star in this, she said, you know, when I first saw this movie under the title Humanoids for the Deep, I'm like, I don't remember this being in the movie I shot. Wow. So, you know, there's really fascinating stories behind this movie. I think this movie is really cool, though. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you... Don't be if you're offended easily by fishmen taking advantage of like 
scantily clad, generally topless, yeah, fully nude women, then yeah. you, this might not be for you. But <laughs> there's some really cool special effects in this. There's some gore gags. Rob Botin, yeah, uh, created the monsters. With a little bit of help from Chris Wallace, who would go on to do like the Fly movies and things like that. Um, another good story about this movie is they only had three actual suits for the monsters, and only one of them was complete. So when they had a scene at the end where they're assaulting the carnival in the docks, they had to shoot multiple angles and try and trick you that there's way more fish monsters on hand than there is. Oh, cool. Well, and they I did think, a good job. And I think that works really well. And I just think this is a really fun movie. Yeah. And I think the creature design is really cool. Um, there's two different varieties. There's the ones that are like running around raping the women. And then there's <laughs> the one that kind of go to and Turkle's house to attack her in the house. Right. And they have these long extended arms. With like the seaweed hanging off, right, 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 and they're like at the window, going to burst through the window, and they look really cool. And she kind of like does that whole Gremlins mom thing, where she just fucking like takes them on with like a butcher knife, and it's really cool. And it's just a really great movie. Vic Morrow plays like a a racist dude who really hates the natives who work there, who are opposed to this business coming in and all that. And it's, yeah, I really like it. I like it a lot more now than I did when I was younger. Yeah, it's like it's sleazy as shit. It is. Like, really sleazy. It reminds me a lot of Piranha, though, for some reason, the original Piranha. Yeah, Joe Dante was actually asked to direct this, and he said no. Yeah. So it is kind of like in that wheelhouse of Corman movies where yeah. he was, like, jumping on trends. Like, these are this and Piranha are definitely his two attempts to kind of emulate the success of Jaws on a much lower budget scale. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Remade in, like, uh, 2001, I think. Uh, no. Or 96. Yeah. We made in 96 for TV. Not not nearly as successful because it was not as sleazy. You cannot match the sleaziness of this one. No. And uh, yeah, I, I really like it. I It's a good way to start fish monsters or water monsters for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this one. <laughs> oh, well, what's that say? <laughs> well, the first thing I thought of when I was thinking of like shit coming out of lakes yep. was... The raft from wrote it down, man. Creep show too. Yeah, wrote it down. All right, so that's the first thing I thought of. So this is a segment in Creep Show Two from 1987, the best segment in Creep Show Two, I might add. Yeah, are you? But with some reservations, <laughs> which we'll get to. Right. So it's it's just four four characters in this movie, and it's just this group of teens that are going out onto this. Uh, they they're um at a lake and they uh, see this like kind of raft you know those things in the middle of lakes that you can yeah. go swim out to so it's one of those things and they go swim out to this thing and it turns out there's this like kind of like tar like substance in the lake or in, is it, it's a lake right yeah, yeah that that, uh, that that like basically it's kind of like one of those isolated like mountainside lakes yeah and then there's this like tar like substance that like uh, attacks them and you know, yeah. like clings to their skin and I think pulls their skin off and stuff yeah, and like that. Yeah, and pulls them through the raft at times and into the water and stuff. Yeah, so not a, not a lot of it's plot like this here. viscous kind of oil slick looking thing. Yeah, it's like a, like kind of like the blob if it was like black and on a lake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just a really cool little story and, and it's a really creepy little creature and it just, it just messes people up. It's and, got a really cool finish to the story too that I won't spoil for you right yeah yeah and it's um yeah it's just a lot of fun and it was uh 
definitely the first thing I thought of other than like the usual fish and alligators. Um, but as far as like one of the monsters that I would think of with this uh, topic that I thought was pretty cool. So, so it's a lot of fun, but I had issues with the fact that they're surrounded by this like blob that wants to basically pull them under the water and kill them. But the one guy, when he's stuck there with just the one girl who's remaining and she's like passed out. Instead of like trying to save them, whether he decides to grope her for no reason whatsoever, and I'm just like, his actions really don't make sense to the rest of the story. It doesn't. But he was a horny teenager, so, I guess, and it but... was like you said, it was the '80s. I know, I know, <laughs> those crazy '80s. Yeah. So I feel bad that I started humanoids from the deep in a way because I should have started with the granddaddy of them all. And that's Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. From 1954. And I'm ashamed of myself for not saying that first. Um, Well, don't be. I mean, Humanoids is the first one you've you've seen most recently. Um, So, Creature from the Black Lagoon is a universal monster movie from back in that era when, you know, you had Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Well, it was way later than that It was like a... It was later, and I feel like that's why... Way later. But he's lumped in with He is lumped in with them, and that's why I feel like he doesn't get the respect of those, because I actually think Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite of all the universal monsters. Yeah, I'm kind of go between it and Frankenstein. Yeah, well, Frankenstein's probably my second favorite, but, like, I love the Creature from the Black Lagoon. He's, like, this really cool... Gilman, he's just like comes out of the water and like tries to kidnap women, and he just doesn't have know. much of a personality. And Frankenstein does. That's the that's well, the big difference. Yeah, not really, but he's really cool looking. Like in the fifties, cool it was looking. mostly like atomic monsters and stuff. You know, Jack Arnold, who directed this, made like uh, you know Tarantula, which was about a giant tarantula mutated by atomic waste. And you know, he also did uh, it came from outer space, which is kind of a fun alien invasion movie and stuff. But I really think, like, the reputation of Creature from the Black Lagoon is really not as good as it should be. Because it's a really fun movie. The creature is cool. I, like, you know, I almost bought a a piggy bank bust of the Creature from the Black Lagoon just because I thought it looked cool. Yeah, a friend of mine, actually, I was just over at his place recently, and uh, he took me into his bathroom. Oh, that sounded not good. But uh, Whoa. Anyway, his, his bathroom had, like, a fucking wicked, like... Um, creature from the Black Lagoon Shrine. He had like probably like forty different figures and busts of creatures from the Black Lagoon. That's really cool. Yeah, I've got this like really cool, like twelve inch universal like creature from the Black Lagoon articulated figure at home. That's really sweet. Yeah, right. On. And you know, he, he's just got that image. Like when I think of you know monsters like this, I think of creature from the Black Lagoon. Is like. Pretty much instantly. Like, when we started talking about this topic, the topic was inspired by me watching Humanoids from the Deep. Right. But oh, this, is that where this came but from? But this was okay. the first movie that popped in my head when I thought, okay, what's a, what kind of monster is like this that isn't a fish or, you know, a normal normal kind of thing would be on top of my list? And Creature from the Black Lagoon is, a, is the greatest place to start. If you're kind of want to watch this type of movie, I think. Yeah, and I think most people who are fans of the Universal, like the classic Universal monsters, will mention. Yeah, like I think a lot of people, this is their favorite. Like the Gilman is their their guy. Yeah, I think a lot of them are like me, where it's like the Gilman and Frankenstein are kind of like yeah. go back to back, go back to back. And they did make two sequels to this, which I actually haven't seen. But yeah, I've I haven't heard, seen them either. I've heard the quality's kind of you know one of those situations where each one's 
just not quite as good as the one before it. Well, I'm curious about Revenge of the Creature because Arnold, uh, Jack Arnold, did come back to direct that one as well. Um, but I know and that, that one was shot in 3D. I think they were all in 3D. I th- well, the third one wasn't. Yeah, the first two definitely were. Um, and then uh, the creature walks among us. The creature looks different. Yeah. Like he doesn't look like the Gill Man that we're used to. He's got kind of more of a rounded face. And uh, I've just, I've only been, I've only watched clips in the trailers. Um, but I, I don't like the look of the creature in the third one. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing about Creature from the Black Lagoon is, you know, there was two gentlemen that played the creature. One was uh, Ben Chapman. He played the creature when he was on land. And the other was Rico Browning. And he played the creature when he was in the water. And there's some really fantastic, like, shots of like like underwater photography in this movie like the the scene i always remember when i think of creature from the black lagoon is there's a um a, a shot where julie adams is swimming in the water in the lagoon but underneath her the creature is also swimming and he's kind of like mimicking her yeah do you remember that scene yeah, that's like a it's, great scene. it's totally memorable and it's, it's so cool and and just knowing that this dude rico browning was like down there like in the suit like doing that it was just it was just really cool and uh so it's it's just really unique in that way like i just find that it feels like this is a and maybe it's because it was shot like almost 20 years after frankenstein but it it really feels like um a bigger movie than than some of the other ones and a and a more polished movie and maybe that's why people like it a lot more too but yeah it's definitely the first one is definitely a classic and i i do want to check out the other two in particular the first one yeah i'm not sure what the, i'm not sure is that like are they all bundled in a box set somewhere probably um well like unlike a lot of the universal horror properties like they there was only the three um yeah. of them um and yeah i do think that you can get i think you can get even, i'm not sure if they're out now but i know uh, universal's been really re-releasing these like legacy collections of a lot of their yeah their i've properties. seen the frankenstein one in the store yeah so i and um i i would imagine the creature one would be the three of them i'm not sure but um i know they've come out at some point for sure yeah these are def- definitely check out the first one if if nothing else though the first one's uh yeah absolutely a classic for sure I'd love to see this in 3D one day. Yeah, maybe maybe someone will bring it here, uh, Rio. <laughs> <laughs> Rio doesn't have 3D. I don't think uh, the Rio can play 3D. It does drive me, just sorry, on a little tangent here. It does drive me a little bananas that 3D is like such a thing right now, but we are not able to see something like Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, given the technology that we have. Well, that's like when I um, <laughs> like, I'm on, on one of my yearly jaunts down to Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I remember I uh, I went into this uh, used record store down there, down on the down in the downtown area, and I was wearing my uh, Friday the Thirteenth three D shirt. So I have a shirt from Friday the Thirteenth where it's Jason bursting through the window with the axe in his head, and it's like made to look like it's three D. It's got like the red and blue colors around the edges of the picture and everything. It's a really cool shirt. And the guy saw it and he's like, "Hey, um." You don't live in Portland, do you? I'm like, oh, no, I'm just busy. Oh, man, you missed it. He's like, last week, we played Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. And I was just like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing, right? I mean, I'd love to, especially a movie like that, because the 3D in Friday the 13th. It's obvious. It's so obvious, right? But I think it'd be so great to see that with today's technology. I mean, we've got the technology to post-convert something that wasn't even fucking filmed in 3D and show it in 3D. Like, why not take some of these? I mean, 
I think there would be a market for it. I remember I went and saw Dracula and Frankenstein at a double feature at one of our cineplexes here, and there was a good crowd there. I mean, I think to think I'd like a double feature of Creature from the Black Lagoon and House of Wax would do pretty well. Um, hopefully someone's listening because uh, I'd love to see some of these things the way they were intended to be seen. Um, all right. Well, I guess um, the, pro- the problem with this topic for me is it's, I haven't seen a lot of this stuff in forever. So it's, right. it's a little difficult for me to comment on a lot of these things. But I guess one I can bring up is... Um, is um let's see i'm just trying to figure out which one to bring up i guess one i'm going to bring up is called the host yep which is a korean movie from Wrote 2000 down. south korean six yes it's definitely a south korean movie yep. <laughs> i'd like to see the north korean version of this it'd be, it'd be amazing <laughs> um so the host is got a lot of really good press in 2006 because um it was a giant monster movie and um people were kind of all over this movie when I actually watched it, I wasn't actually that impressed by it. Like, I, I didn't like it that much. Um, like, a lot of the thing I find with some of these um, movies from Asia is that they're a little long. And I felt like this one ran a little too long. And um, it had a few cool moments. But overall, I uh, I didn't really get what all the hoopla was about. But there's certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of love for this one. And it's, it's just a giant kind of dinosaur-y creature coming from the ocean and attacking people in, in the city. But uh, did, did you see the host? Yeah, it's it's. I, I like the host quite a bit. I just think that it could have been sh- cut like 20 to 25 minutes. You're right. It is a, a little bit longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and there's some odd humor in this and like some political stuff in it that was kind of out of place, I remember. Yeah. <clears throat> and this, But the effects were pretty good. Yeah, like, I remember there was one scene where, like, someone was, like, trapped in, like, a sewer or some sort of hole or something, and then the monster was coming down, and I, I thought that was kind of neat, but, uh, I, you know, I, it wasn't where, it wasn't at the CG level we're at nowadays, so it's, it had kind of that old, little older CG that kind of took me out of it a little more than it maybe would if it was made now. Yeah, it's kind of really a goofy story, though, too, because it's about this family who, like, the creature kidnaps one of the daughters. Yeah. And they try and save her, and that's kind of a goofy story for a movie like this. Yeah. I'd like, I'd much rather just see the the creature just, like, attacking people at random. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a fun enough movie. I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's worth seeing. Yeah. Uh, the director, uh, Bong Joon-ho, I think I said it right, or Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. He uh, actually went on to make Snowpiercer. Right. Which is another yeah. movie that I really want to see that has been getting a lot of like really good reviews and raves since it came out. So that's one that's on my list to watch. And that's like kind of his American debut, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, and I mean, like, when we're looking into this topic, I mean, it's kind of made me want to revisit the host. Um, but, yeah, just just because it, it was very, very popular when it came out. And I was just trying to think of something a little more contemporary. And uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's the host. I just think it's, uh, I just think it's great that a uh, foreign movie, for starters, and a giant monster movie managed to get that much positive press yeah, in a era where those kind of movies just aren't really that common or cared about anymore. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that's great. Um, I'm gonna group together a bunch of movies next. Okay. Mainly because 
it, you'll remember this. It was it was a weird time at the movie theaters in the in like the late eighties, because do you remember there was like just this big grouping of these like like underwater <laughs> movies, like you know I there know was where like this is going, there yeah. was like the abyss, right, which was not doesn't fit in the topic we have, but then there was all these other movies that totally fit in this topic. You <laughs> yeah, know? we have a movie like um, I'll run down the list because I've got them all written down. Perfect. Got a movie called Leviathan. Yep. Directed by George P. Cosmatos. Special effects by Stan Winston. Yeah. Um, George Cosmatos directed Tombstone. He directed Rambo First Blood Part 2. Um, it stars Richard Crenna, Peter Weller, Ernie Hudson. Great cast right there. Robocop fighting sea monster. You know, basically it's about a crew who goes underwater. They find a Russian sub called Leviathan or a ship, whatever it is. It's sunk ship. They take back a safe, and when they open it up, there's kind of like this. It's kind of like a, um, I'd call it kind of like the thing. Right. In that it jumps from body to body and kind of mutates people into like different sorts of creatures. You know, there's this memorable scene of Amanda Pays having a shower and, you know, the creature's kind of pushing its way out and she's like kind of crying in the shower. And, you know, a scene where it bursts out of the guy's chest and it's like trying to bite people and all this cool. The effects of this movie are outrageous. Right. But they're really cool. And um, Peter Weller, man. Peter Weller is your hero. (laughs) How can you go wrong? You like, I think you love Peter Weller almost as much as Kurt Russell. Pretty close. (laughs) Pretty close. And Migo Ferrer from freaking RoboCop is in this playing the same kind of prick he played in RoboCop <laughs> and he's awesome. Yeah. Like I got to say, Leviathan is just like a fun movie. Um I remember that I had seen The Abyss in theaters and and fell in love with that movie. I still kind of hold it in high regard even though I haven't seen it in a while. And then Leviathan came out and I'm like, "Oh, another underwater movie. This is going to be sweet." And I didn't imagine I was going to see all these like gory monsters bursting through people and like Peter Weller being cool and punching women out and shit like that. (laughs) It's Leviathan's great. What are you Donald Trump now? I guess so. (laughs) Grab by the pussy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a fun movie. All right. Um, and then after that, there was a little movie called deep star six. Yeah. Came out same year around the same time. (laughs) Directed by Sean S. Cunningham of Friday the 13th fame, starring, <laughs> oh wait, sorry, Migo Ferrer was in Deep Star 6, I fucked up. He was great. He was oh yeah, deep... he was in there with Neil. He wasn't Nichols. in Leviathan, but he was in Deep Star 6 yeah. being a prick. Uh, so, <laughs> Greg Evigan's the hero, and Amy Everhart's the female protagonist, and they suck in it. Amy but... Everhart? Amy Everhart. <laughs> That's her name, dude. <laughs> giggle, giggle. And Greg Evigan was who? BJ from BJ and the Bear. Yeah, they're they're kind of weak in this movie. And I didn't think this was a very good movie. It's basically this mutated creature that kind of looks like a lobster in a way. <laughs> and it like pops out of the water at people and attacks them. And Deep Star Six is the name of the sub. And the effects are kind of shitty. And it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, it's not that exciting. But it came out the same time as Leviathan. I just don't understand why all these movies came out around the same time. Like, what was everyone's fascination with these underwater movies all of a sudden? Yeah. Well, The Abyss, I guess, is what started. Yes, and then there was a movie. Is that what started? Was that the first? I think so. Yeah. And then there was a movie called The Rift. 
which just came out on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. AKA Rift. AKA Endless Descent. That's the title what I remember. The fuck? I don't even remember. That's know a movie I remember it under when I saw it on VHS back in the day. This is a movie directed a Spanish movie directed by John Piquer Simon of Slugs and Pieces fame about a submarine crew led by Arlie Ermy from Full Metal Jacket. Oh uh, yeah, lost me. Going into a chasm in the ocean floor to recover another sub and running aground of creatures who like to rip the skin off of people. Nice. Arlie Ermy is awesome. I don't care what you say. Have you seen this movie? I've seen this movie. The Rift. Great special effects. 79 minutes long. Perfect. And... Super silly, Arlie Ermey doing his typical drill sergeant thing, Ugh. and John Picare Simon, no matter what you say about him, slugs and pieces, not the greatest of movies in the world, but entertaining as shit. Yeah. And this isn't quite on that level of maniacal entertainment, but it's also way more fun than you'd expect it to be. Cool. I remember it being called Endless Descent, but it's now out on Blu-ray under its original title called uh, The Rift. From well, Kino. I'll have to pick that one up, so, even though it's got early army in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty fun movie. It's a pretty fun movie. And then there was another movie that came out from Corman, which was really an abyss ripoff called Lords of the Deep. Yeah. Where it was friendly sea aliens. And I'm not going to talk about it because it's lame. And uh, yeah, that was the quadruple. That was the, all the movies that came out in 1989 that had sea monsters in them. <laughs> really weird. Really wow. weird. Wow. I, I hadn't even heard of like two of those, so that's that's pretty what, awesome. Endless Descent? Endless and Descent or the other one you just said. Lords of the Deep? Lords of the Deep. That's another Roger Corman gem. <laughs> gem. <laughs> There's another Roger Corman gem on my list, too. Should yeah. I just, sh- should I just tackle it? Sure. What is it? 1987's Demon of Paradise, directed by Serial H. Santiago. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is basically a riff on Creature from the Black Lagoon. The creature looks like Creature from the Black Lagoon, only with a shittier costume. And this is a movie made 30 years after Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, he attacks people at a Hawaiian resort. The only thing I really remember about this movie is that there is a scene where he jumps out of the water and single-handedly pulls a helicopter under. Oh, awesome. Yeah. This is out in a double feature DVD from Shout Factory with Up From the Depths. Nice. So, Well, Up From the... Yeah, I wrote Up From the Depths down as well. Directed That's by, more of uh, a shark movie, though. Is it? Yeah. Or is it... They're more like giant fish. I don't know what they are. They're like prehistoric kind of fish. Yeah. So, yeah, it's teamed with that on, on uh, DVD, like one of those Roger Corman cult collections double features. But it's also just being put out, like, Up From the Depths is just being put out on Blu-ray by itself as one of those shout, like, exclusive things on their website. I saw that at Videomatic Where they charge, like, $40 for them. Yeah, they, they, they yeah. had it for sale today. Too expensive. Yeah, I, I looked at it. I was like, meh. Yeah, so, yeah. Demon of Paradise. Cool. Only thing I remember from it is him pulling that fucking helicopter into the water. <laughs> but it's Sierra Santiago, so you should be able to wring some form of entertainment from it. Be it from ineptness, but... Well, hey, any Santiago movie I'll probably like, so... Yeah, probably. You should pick it up. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually thinking I will. All right. So I got a couple of, like, 
you know, like humanoid type creatures, seeing okay. as we've talked about humanoids from the deep and creature from the black lagoon. And Demon so, of Paradise. And Demon of Paradise. So the first one I'll bring up is, um, and again, I haven't seen this in forever, but I remember the box cover quite well. And uh, anyway, this one's called Slithis. Oh, yeah. A.K.A. Spawn of the Slithis. Yeah. From you 19- would get a Slithis survival kit when you saw it in theaters in the 70s. Did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Slithis sucks. <laughs> yeah, Slithis is pretty terrible. I have this on VHS. But it's I, fun. I know Code Red put out a DVD of it, but uh, from 1978, directed by Stephen Traxler. There's not really any cast of note. Um, I don't remember a lot about this movie, um, but it is definitely a creature from the Black Lagoon ripoff. I mean, the... The monster in this attempts to look like the Gill Man quite like un- unashamedly. So, um, but yeah, I don't remember a hell of a lot about the movie itself. Um, and then the other kind of like person walking around like a creature from the depths movie I want to bring up is Octoman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, from 1971, um, directed by Harry Essex. Now, this was a really low-budget movie. Again, I had a VHS of this. I still do, obviously, somewhere. So maybe on a future episode, you'll hear all about it. Um, and I remember just buying this just because of the, of the ridiculousness of the name and the ridiculousness of the creature in this. Little did I know that this one, um, the creature, was uh, designed by... <laughs> Rick Baker, of yep. all people, and Doug Beswick, um, and a really early creation, um, a really er- early Baker creation. Rick Baker, of course, one of the greatest makeup artists that ever lived, and hopefully the um, um, uh, um, hopefully we'll feature him on an upcoming podcast. Um, and uh, it also stars, like, Pierre Angeli, a former girlfriend of James Dean, and Kerwin Matthews, who was the first Sinbad. Like, when I, when I watched this on VHS, I was like, this is, like, some shitty movie that was shot in Florida or something. But it actually had, like, real actors in this and real makeup artists. So kind of a bizarro movie. But, again, I don't remember a lot about it, just that this creature that's, like an octopus person was like walking around looking terrible. I've never seen it, but I, I've seen a clip where he's like standing in front of like a mobile home trailer yeah, and like walking towards someone (laughs) with this, giving this high pitched screech off and he looks so bad. Yeah. Like kind of like a weird version of the green slime creatures. Yeah. 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 I I actually kind of want to see this movie. This is actually miraculously out on DVD. I can't remember who put it out, but it's it's out and about. Retro Media did. Did Retro Media do it? I think it? so. Yeah, it's out and about somewhere. So, uh, yeah. So those those are two uh, kind of oddball like people walking around like creatures movies. Well, you mentioned like shittily shot Florida lensed movies. Yeah, happens to be I have one of those written down here. <laughs> it's a 1971 movie called Zat. What the fuck? Where are you coming up with this also stuff? known as the Bloodwaters of Doctor Z? Okay. And Hydra. Now, Hydra, okay. This is a movie I remember seeing on uh, VHS back in the day. Um, there was this like really obscure VHS label called Lettuce Video. And they put out like horror movies on... Uh, like They were kind of retitled and given these lurid box arts. Right. So this was one of them. So Hydra, on the box, it was like this giant-looking green, like, fucking sea creature, like, attack, going to attack this girl in a bikini. And all you saw was the back of her, like, just her bikini and 
you know, her facing the monster. And it was like this beautifully hand-painted picture. Right. Does not, does not have anything <laughs> to do with what's in store for you. Now, Zat is actually out on Blu-ray. Oh my God. <laughs> if you can believe it. From uh, Film Chest. And I own this Blu-ray. Proudly. It's one of those movies that's mostly known for being on Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in the day. It's one of those movies that just gained that kind of cult because of that. Right. But this movie's fucking bananas, dude. Really? Like, it opens with stock footage of, like, ocean life while this mad scientist is narrating over top of it like they don't believe me i'm gonna rule the world i'm gonna make the my minions from the fish and all this stuff and it turns out he's a nazi scientist big shocker there who decides he wants to turn himself into a sea creature aka a creature of the black lagoon ripoff aka a seaman Yes, where you can see the fucking zippers in his monster suit. Nice. Who goes around basically abducting women because he wants to get a mate. Give an abducting women theme to I guess so. Maybe I should, you know, go see a psychiatrist about this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's like, he's messing with nature. He's a Nazi. He wants to abduct women. He's a pretty fucked up mad scientist. It's considered one of the worst films ever made. Wow. But holy shit, this this is the kind of movie where... You know how we always talk about movies that if you were to sit with a bunch of people and some beers, they'd be a blast? Yeah. Zat is definitely one of those movies. I would put Zat and like that Canadian classic, 1989's Things, as two movies you can just get a bunch of guys together with alcohol and fucking have a blast watching. Okay. It's insanely bad like it's worse than slithis dude but there's something yeah in, but slithis is like bad boring there's something incredibly watchable about that okay so yeah maybe maybe we'll have to check it out together one day you you won't believe your eyes dude nice you won't believe your eyes it's crazy i'll have to get some drinks get some drinks not some dinks some drinks i said drinks oh maybe you can uh, crack over that vodka bottle that's on your counter that you considered drinking for this episode <laughs> yeah the chili vodka made oh. right here in north vancouver a yeah. chili vodka it's chili vodka i man. don't know how i feel about that no it's like super spicy vodka i like my vodka from russia <laughs> do you no <laughs> i just well you know in the 80s when you thought about uh, russia all you thought about was furry hats and vodka so i was just sticking with the theme that's true, true. that's true okay i'm like the most useless person as far as like alcohol like um knowledge like i i wouldn't know like i wouldn't know like one fucking scotch from another scotch if you have, like well it's like that's like all these people who drink wine right like ooh, i have a bouquet of apricots and smoked wood in my mouth <laughs> i'm just like tastes like fucking wine <laughs> <laughs> all tastes the same to me but like there's a few differences but god like just if you want to buy me a bottle of wine, just buy whatever. I just bar. watched the movie Zad, and this this wine has a bouquet of semen in it. <laughs> oh, God. Just buy me the wine with the cool picture on the bottle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I feel like that's why they. That's why a lot of wine labels do the cool pictures now because they have fucking jackasses like us coming in and be like, "What wine do we have? Oh, there's so many to choose from. I want the one with the Kraken on it." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's totally true. All right, Deep Rising. Yeah, I was going to... I had that written down. It's time for you to come up. Okay, Deep Rising is an interesting one because it's a 1998 movie. It's from the dawn of CG. It's directed by Steven Summers. Oh, Steven Summers. Who would shit the bed repeatedly by making mummy movies and Van Helsing and G.I. Joe. Yeah. And wow. I saw this opening weekend. I remember I used to work with this guy at this video store and he used to love Deep Rising. Really? Yeah. I saw this opening weekend, dude. I think I did too. I went and saw it and the theater was so packed. I had to sit in that row of four seats at the bottom that I fucking hate. Right. And I was like looking up at the... I swear, by the end of the movie, I had a crick in my neck from looking at the screen. Oh, you're one of those whiners. I, I don't mind being I don't like there. being that low down. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I liked Deep Rising at the time. But then I was watching clips when we were when I was preparing for this, and I was just like, I don't know about this movie. Yeah, I I didn't mind Deep Rising at the time. I like Treat Williams, right? I, yeah, like I like Famke Jansen. I like Kevin J O'Connor. Yeah, Kevin J O'Connor's kind of like the the comedic guy in this. Like he was he, a Swan in uh, Lord of Illusions, and I, I like that. He's actor. the one who kind of cracks jokes. Like there, there'll be a scene where they're like in the elevator, and it's like, you know. Being like, they hear all these noises in the elevator, and Treat Williams is like, oh, what's that? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? And he just pauses for a minute. He's like, what, Girl from Ipanema? Oh, yeah. he talks ha, about ha, the ha, elevator ha. music and yeah, stuff. Yeah, And, you know, there's a there's this, like, scene with, like, Williams booking it on this jet ski while everything's exploding <laughs> around him. And, you know, That's it, like the cover art, right? Yeah, it's yeah. basically, like... He takes these mercenaries to this luxury ship to, like, steal the gold, but a sea monster's there that's killing everybody. <laughs> it's like, cool. It's something I would love normally, and I think I do lo- kind of love this I kind of... I, I liked it last time I saw it, but I just... It looks so dated now, man, because of the CG. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to hold up. It's like, one of these ones where I saw it the- in the theater, which yeah. always is a different experience than watching things at home. Yeah. So I've only ever seen this movie in the theater. And, um, yeah, just now that, uh, how many years, like almost 20 years have gone by Yeah, it's and like, it's directed by Steven Summers. I don't, this was yeah. before he sucked. And, uh, it's pretty funny how Steven Summers has just destroyed his reputation with people like us. Oh yeah. Cause we were like, Oh, deep rising. That was kind of fun. Oh, the mummy, the first mummy. And we were like, Oh, that was okay. And then the mummy returns <laughs> comes out. We're like, that was kind of a shit show. Yeah. And then Van Helsing comes out. Oh. And I'm like, no, fuck you, Steven Summers. <laughs> exactly. Fuck you hard. You just need to die. You've ruined Universal Monsters forever. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, not a good, uh, not a good situation. Yeah, no. Yeah. So I've apparently I've heard he's rebounded a little bit with Odd Thomas, but I did hear that too, and I almost bought that. I just saw that for five bucks at Walmart, but I. Saw the director's name and I put it back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would actually like to revisit Deep Rising. And yeah, uh, me too. I actually have it at home. Mill Creek put out like a double feature Blu-ray. Oh, I think I have that with, too. With like the Puppet Masters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, oh, it's three bucks at Dollar Ammo. Oh, I, okay. I forgot I even owned that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, there you go. We can both watch Deep Man, Rising. It is getting like disturbing how like much <laughs> I don't know if I still if I actually own it or not. <laughs> You got to start using a database, buddy. I know. I, I'm trying. Consider how many movies you just bought tonight. I know. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk I about that. I got the app. I got this My Movies app that I'm going to okay, okay. trying. Good yeah. job. So, yeah, Deep Rising. It was like one of the last big 
creature movies I remember in the late 90s, and then they kind of went away for a while. Yeah. But I kind of remember having fun with it. I think maybe you and I should both like revisit it eventually. Yeah. Because we both have it, so... Yeah, no, I'd like to watch it again. We should just do it, and then we can make fun of the bad CG if it's terrible. Yeah. Okay. So, Deep Rising. Deep Rising. Let's talk about... Oh, and another thing about Deep Rising I just want to bring <laughs> up, because it kind of ties into this next movie I'm going to talk about. I found the creature in Deep Rising to be very kind of Cthulhu, Lovecraftian looking. Okay. Which I thought was kind of cool, which leads me to Dagon. Yeah. Which is based on... Uh, Lovecraft's story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yeah. This is directed by Stuart Gordon, who most people kind of acknowledge as the one guy who can get Lovecraft right, right because of Reanimator and From Beyond. Yeah. And uh, it was produced by uh, Brian Usna. This is around the time that he went out to Spain and started producing movies out there under his Film, Mira- Film Mirage, I think is the name of the company. He also did like Rottweiler and Prodigy and Progeny and all these kind of bad movies. But I actually kind of like Dagon. Yeah. It's just your typical movie with like um, sailors getting like going to this small dreary fishing village and, and it being inhabited by these like not quite humans who are actually like creatures. Yeah. Who want to just like kill everybody. Um, very dreary looking movie because it's constant rain in it. I remember that. Lots of fog. Lots of like. I really like the ambience of Dagon. Yeah. And I remember the effects being really cool. Like there's scenes of them with their mouths like gaping open with their teeth and everything. But it's another one of those movies where it's like I watched it and I was kind of like that was okay. And then I haven't really thought about it yeah, since. Exactly. But I I've bought the DVD. So that's just another one that I'm kind of like, maybe I should rewatch this because, you know, everyone seems to love everything Stuart Gordon does. Yeah. You know, I love dolls. I love Reanimator. I'm kind of iffy on From Beyond. And, you know, I, well, I'm I'm good on From Beyond when it's got Barbara Crampton in like freaking dominatrix gear. But <laughs> other than that, I'm kind of iffy on From Beyond. And, and like, I'm not really the hugest fan of his Pit in the Pendulum with Lance Hendrickson, honestly. I haven't seen that. I've but, seen the other ones, though. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm kind of with you. This is just one of those ones where I just kind of want to give it a rewatch, but it's worth mentioning because, you know, Lovecraft, a lot of his fiction is actually based in, like, sea creature yeah. stuff, and we've got to have at least one of those yeah. on this list of movies we're, we're mentioning here. Yeah. All right. Well, um, by the way, I'm getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting down to the I'll, these uh, a bunch of like titles I can mention, but uh, I mean, another one that kind of came up and it's just it's just part of a movie, but um, the um, in uh, 1981's Clash of the Titans, yeah, um, there was the big release the Kraken, yeah, and I wanted to like, yeah, like I was because I was thinking of Harry House, and when I was thinking of this um, topic as well, because um, but then when I started going through Harry House and stuff, like. Um, there was like the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms that was a Harryhausen yeah. creation, creation. That's a sea creature. Yeah, it uh, came from the sea. Isn't that him? That yeah, again octopus. Yeah. Um, but I was uh, thinking more. But then yeah, the Kraken from Clash of the Titans yeah. uh, certainly came to mind because it is a mythological creature from the ocean, and it was a pretty impressive scene. Well, it's, it's definitely the scene of that. We're talking original Clash of Titans. Yeah, we're not we're talking, talking remake. 1981. Yeah. We're not talking the newer ones. Yeah. That's definitely the scene I remember the most from that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a pretty cool scene. And Harryhausen, I mean, Harryhausen stuff, I mean, 
a lot of the younger people out there would probably be like, oh, that looks like shit. Yeah. But there's a really fine art to stop motion. Yeah. And Harryhausen was the best artist that ever existed at it. Yeah. Bar none. Yeah. And, you know, it's a great scene. And I, I feel like Clash of the Titans on a whole is a fun movie to watch is if you can put your brain in check and just accept it for what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a great movie. And yeah, I mean like that scene had like this giant, like a, a giant monster coming out of the ocean and then Pegasus flying around. And yeah, it was a really cool. Yeah, and sequence. Harry Hamlin looking all studly. Yeah. Certainly in a, in a toga. Yeah. <laughs> Those lips though. I don't know, Harry. But. So the last movie I have written down before we uh, can go through your, list of movies you got there that you might want to mention is a 1981 movie called screamers okay this is a this is famous mostly for being a fake out yeah this is a movie an italian movie that was originally called island of the fishman that was bought by roger corman's new world pictures had new footage shot at the beginning featuring cameron mitchell that had a bunch of gore scenes and a famous trailer and poster created by Jim Wynorski who would go on to direct such classics as Death Stalker 2 and Chopping Mall that had a skinless man and the tagline you will see a man turned inside out yeah does not happen in the movie yeah yeah this is basically a movie about people who are shipwrecked on an island inhabited by murderous fishermen and a mad scientist played by Joseph Cotton, who was in like, you know, Citizen Kane. He's like one of those actors who's recognizable the minute you see him. Cast also includes Barbara Bach, who was in The Spy Who Loved Me. And, and Ringo Starr's wife. Yeah. Uh, and directed by Sergio Martino. Yeah. Who made Torso, the movie that Josh recently saw that he loved called Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. Yeah. And this apocalyptic sci-fi movie from the 80s called Hands of Steel that I've been trying to get my hands on but haven't been able to yet. That's coming out on blue. Is it? Yeah. I'm going to buy that then. Yeah. Um, it's not the greatest of movies, admittedly, but it's just got that cheesy Italian charm. And the creatures look kind of stupid, to be honest <laughs> with you. They're just not that impressive. Yeah. There was actually a sequel to this in 1995 made for Italian TV called Queen of the Fishmen. Really? Which is available on DVD from Maya. Oh my god! Communications. So, wow. I'm not sure if I want to check it out, but Martino made some interesting movies, didn't he? Martino was kind of all over the place. Yeah, he's yeah. I mean, he's a great, great, great director. But, but like he, this is just a weird choice. Kind of went all over the place. This is available on Blu-ray from I believe it's Code Red. So okay. good luck finding it. <laughs> Especially if you're in Canadian. <laughs> I'm not sure if it has both cuts on it. But uh, it's also available on DVD under the Island of the Fishman title. And I'm not, I'm curious, but I'm not overly curious, to be honest. It's like one of those things where the marketing is so awesome. I just remember the movie being like not so good. And I'm just worried that the marketing is going to spoil it for me. Is anything Mar even like, even Martino like, does though, even man. like 30, 35 years later, I feel like the marketing is going to ruin this movie when I, if I ever get around to revisiting it. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know. I just find anything Martino, even like that shitty American Tiger thing I saw with was Mitch that? Him? Oh, that was him too, wasn't like, it? Like, even if the movie's like stupid, like if Martino's behind it, like it's gonna be, there's gonna be some weird shit. I wonder if an American Tiger, the scene where they're burning the VHS <laughs> tape in the oven, are copies of Screamers because he's pissed off that they re-edited. <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> 
So that's all I have oh, written down for American. ones I wanted to mention. Um, let's do a couple of kind of honorable titles. Throw out a few titles at people before we depart. Sure. I mean, like one one I wanted to mention as well is, is the... the <laughs> he wants to mention oh, so much man. he's laughing about the, it. The Sea Serpent from 1984. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Like, this is a, another Timothy Bottoms special. Um, and Taron Power. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard things about it. So this is fucking awful. Like, it's it's got this, like, it's got, like, a terrible, terrible sea serpent in it. But the, the weird thing about this movie is that it was directed by... Um, Armando de, de Osorio, who um, did all the Blind Dead movies, which are all pretty effective, like Spanish, like zombie movies. Well, they're kind of the most famous zombie movies from Italy after Fulci. Spain, Spain yeah. yeah. And he was known for those movies, but then he came up with came up with this thing. And I bought this one. It's another one of those ones where, like, the VHS cover is just like this painted art that just yeah. looks so awesome. And holy, it's one of these, like, just like this terrible, terrible puppet of this this um, sea monster. But, Wasn't uh, it like a um, like a Vestron video special? Where I'm, it was like, I'm what, not sure. Came where, out from Vestra and had the sweet ass box art. So you're like, oh yeah, it had really great box Maybe art. Maybe it'll come out in the new Vestra line on Blu-ray. I seriously, <laughs> seriously doubt it. But I think this would be pretty hard to find. It might never have come out on DVD. Actually, for all so, I know. So, so I didn't know we were we were counting sea serpent kind of movies. So that's like Crater Lake Monster. Crater Lake Monster, of course, which is yeah. like a Loch Ness takeoff, which is out on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, they're sea monsters, right? Like, yeah, it's it's a on Blu-ray from Mill Creek, paired yeah. up with Galaxina. Yeah, and uh, what's the other sea creature one? Sea monster. There's also one. Loch Ness Horror from yep. 1984. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, also, we haven't brought up Swamp Thing. I mean, I I'm yeah, so- I, I I I was I forgot about it. <laughs> Did you? I would. My girl, my girlfriend was like, "What about Swamp Thing?" And I was like, at the time, I was like, "Oh yeah, Swamp Thing." But then, for some reason, when I was doing my notes, it totally slipped my mind. All right, so and Swamp I, Thing. I, I, love, <laughs> I actually love Swamp Thing, the character. Yeah, like the comic book character and everything. I think it's a cool character. Like it's something different, and unique for comic books. So what's the deal with the comic book character? Because I obviously, well, it's I, the same basically as the movie. It's like a scientist who's like looking into like you know plant life in the swamp and he ends up running afoul of mobsters and stuff and gets mixed in with like chemicals and jumps into the swamp and kind of mutates into this plant creature nice and you know it the comics are really cool they have a lot more they're a lot more intelligent than you'd expect yeah and um they have a lot of like moral questions in them like especially the ones written by uh alan moore Okay. So they're really like if you want to start with Swamp Thing for comics, definitely pick up the ones that are written by Alan Moore. There's like three or four volumes that are out there that you can pick up. They're really cool. Nice. But but this was like at the time I didn't realize it was a comic book adaptation when this came out. This mm. is another one that I used to watch on cable all the time. This is and a 1983 movie directed by Wes Craven. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. realize it was Wes Craven at the time. This is the movie he made right before he made Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And it's ridiculously silly. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's got Adrian Barbeau in it. It's yeah, got... with that amazing topless scene that you can only get it... in the old MGM DVD. I don't DVD. know the topless scene. Everyone talks about this topless It's the scene. international cut. And... But isn't it like two seconds? No, of... it's more than that. Is it? Yeah. All right, that that DVD is now hard to get. A I have of. that DVD. So do I. So do I. I and haven't I will, seen it yet, and I will never give it away. It's that good, eh? Like oh, yeah. her boobs are that good. Yeah, they're they're very nice. 
David Hess is one of the henchmen. Yeah, and Ray Wise is House in this too from uh, Twin Peaks. So. And uh, the main bad guy is Louis Jordan. Yeah. And he's fucking slimy as shit and awesome. Nice. And it's just that it's, it's a ridiculous movie. It's just, you know. I loved this when I was a kid. It's still fun. It's just ridiculous. Because mm-hmm. by the end, the bad guy has like decided he wants to be a, a, like a, a swamp creature too. And he's mutated himself. And they have this big fucking brawl in the middle of the swamp. <laughs> Like, there's a scene where Swamp Thing gets his arm cut off and it grows back. It's yeah, pretty, I remember that. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty fun movie. It's like something that you would not expect Wes Craven to make. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's really the first, if I think about it, it's the first real comic book movie I saw without yeah. really being aware that it was a comic book movie. Yeah, without being aware. I mean, I think, I think Superman was probably the first one I saw. But Yeah, and th- there was a sequel to this called Return of Swamp Thing directed by Jim Wynorski. Yeah. With like Heather Locklear as the female lead, and it was fun and silly. With and effects then, by past guest Todd Masters. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was also um, a TV series that ran for one or two seasons. Yeah, those there. There's a bunch of box sets of that, and they're really confusing. Like I'm. Yeah, not, I think they weren't released properly. There's all these weird volumes, and I have one called the complete series, but it's it can't be. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's there's all these weird releasing issues with that series. But Dick Durock played the Swamp Thing in the TV series and the sequel. And I actually think and he the did, original does he play it yeah, in the yeah. original too? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I found the Swamp Thing costume to be better in the sequels, but I, I think Swamp Thing's definitely a fun movie to check out. Yeah, especially if you're into Wes Craven stuff, because it's definitely apart from like Music of the Heart with Meryl Streep, it's probably the weirdest movie he made out of character for him. Right. Yeah, I, I want to revisit that for sure. All right, so just running down some other titles. I just uh, try and find that old MGM DVD for the I have sweet... the MGM. Should I buy the Scream Factory release too or no? Uh, but it doesn't have the sweet, sweet boobage in it. Right, but... <laughs> it's up to you, man. It's up to you. I just... I heard it was a, like like literally seconds of her boobs. That's about five to seven seconds. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Dude, when you have slow motion, it takes a long time. <laughs> Still step, yeah. <laughs> frame by frame. <laughs> Fuck. All right. So speaking of uh, giant things, there's a giant behemoth. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> from 1959. Uh, a couple other ones I have. Nice uh, segue, Josh. I know you like that. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about Godzilla at all. Like... <laughs> Like, sorry, I'm not talking Godzilla about... Godzilla I didn't bring up because I feel like it's a topic unto itself. Yeah, like Toho. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, the sea, sea Creature from 1956 remade as part of that uh, that uh, Stan Winston Creature Features line in uh, 2001. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's the, about a... Like, the mermaid kind of, one, right? Yeah, kind of a mermaid one. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- those, actually, I haven't seen either of them, but... Um, Definitely the remake with um, Carla Gugino and uh, Rufus Sewell. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Actually, all those... I'm actually on the hunt right now for all those I just have how how to make a monster I have. I got it for a dollar like a month ago. Oh, man. Yeah. They're hard to find. I'm after all those right now. They're hard to find. Um, There's also um, another one called Killer Mermaid. It's only a couple of years ago. Um, And I haven't seen it, but it looks pretty neat. It's actually... A Serbian movie 
um, starring uh, Franco Nero. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, and it's tw- from 2014. Um, but I saw the trailer, and it looks pretty cool. So, so at the end, does Franco Nero, like, kill the killer mermaid creature, then wink at the screen in the <laughs> roll credits? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, that would be rad. Yeah. I've also got written down here Beneath, um, directed by Larry Fessenden. That's just one I really want to see. I really want to see it, too. To. Screen Factory put it out. I haven't seen it yet. There's The Rig from 2010 with William Forsythe. It's supposed to be pretty good. I saw it. It was it was okay. I mean, it's one of those, like, there was a you know million, like, direct-to-video horror movies. Yeah, there was another movie that came out, um, made-for-TV movie from 1981 called The, the Deadly... Shit, what's it called now? It's called The Deadly Intruder or something, and it's like another one of those sea creatures on an oil rig kind of movies. Nice. I'll try I'll try and remember what the title is and post it on our Facebook page, though. Yeah. Because I remember I always used to look at the box because it was one of those old Warner Brothers giant VHS clamshell boxes, and it had a picture of the creature on it and had all these sharp teeth, and it looked pretty cool. Oh, right on. Yeah. And the last one I got written down is uh, Warlords of Atlantis from 1978. Uh, directed by Kevin O'Connor, who uh, gave us Motel Hall, and just bringing it all home, starring Doug McClure. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> bringing it all home. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's kind of all I got. But I mean, okay. I find this, yeah, it's kind of a tough topic. Um, but once once we sort of got going, it's because uh, I was like, fuck, there's no sea creature movies. But um, there actually is obviously quite a few when you start looking into it. Um, but I mean, I mean, as far as ones you know that you know, I think we'd really recommend humanoids. Which one? Humanoids. Humanoids from the deep. Um, I would probably say Swamp Thing would be one. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Obviously, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, Leviathan. Sounds like we're both on the same page on that one. Yep. Um, sounds like Deep Rising is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll like let you know when we've revisited that one because. Right now, I'm kind of like, yeah, Deep Rising. But I was like, yeah, Deep Rising was a lot of fun in the theater. But, you know, it's Steven Summers and fuck him. Yeah, so I don't know about Deep Rising. But those would kind of be the ones that I, I would suggest would be the sort of top ones to look at. And then if you wanted to, like, delve into some of the other ones we've mentioned, then knock sure. yourself out. And if we missed any, typical spiel coming up, folks. Tell us on our social media stuff, www.thevideograveyard.com com slash gbw podcast to get links to our twitter and our facebook group yeah amongst other things as always go to itunes and give us a review and a rating if you wish it only takes a couple minutes and it helps us out immensely because it gets us more exposure yes and thank you for the overwhelming response whenever we ask for that it's hey we've got a we got one new one the other day so it's all good oh yeah okay cool it's all good as always, thanks for listening. If we've missed anything, hit us up on our Facebook group and call us idiots and let us know what we missed. Right on. Otherwise, right. be careful out there in the water. Glug, 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 glug. <laughs>